Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. This is part three of our rewriting the Star Wars prequel series. Today we're going to be talking about Revenge of the Sith. If you want to hear us talk about Attack of the Clones or Phantom Menace, go listen to parts one and two of this series. We're really glad you could be here. This is a really fun episode. After we talk about Revenge of the Sith, we really get into depth about what we would change about the series overall. That's why this episode's a little bit longer than the other episodes in our series. So sit back, relax, enjoy. Well, and we're, so we're about to get into what I think is the strongest of the three episodes in the prequels, Revenge of the Hard Sith. Hard agree. Absolutely. Now, I will say, George Lucas's story from 1975 on has been, he wrote all six of these stories, cut it in half, shelved the first half, and made the second half into the trilogy that we know and love, the original trilogy, and then said, yeah, someday I'll no, come back and make no these. fucking way that's true. Yeah. There's agreed. no way that's true. Now, that being said... That's some am, J.K. Rowling shit, bruh. I am 100% convinced that George Lucas basically wrote this story, Revenge of the Sith, and then worked backwards. He knew when he was going to make a prequel trilogy that to make this movie, he would have to set up the Clone Wars because they play such a huge role in this movie, and that he would have to like have an origin story for Anakin before he's a Jedi. And so that's where he like wrote Episode 1, Episode 2... I'm convinced this is the only prequel movie he really wanted to make, like deep down in his soul. This was the, this was the one, right? Like this is the only like part of it that really matters. The fall of Skywalker is what we... Because, I mean, again, he insists that the original Star Wars trilogy is about the Skywalker saga, right? That's what he calls it. It's like it's about the son and the father, the balance that they bring to the Force of light and dark, the dichotomy of those things, the redemption of Anakin Skywalker, and that's really the only story he wanted to tell. Everything else happening around it is just kind of there because the fans, it, it's necessitated by that narrative and the fans demanded it. So, dude, this movie's fucking dark, which I love. Like a dark yep. Star Wars movie, and I think that if there's one thing Disney learned is that they could go a little bit darker with some of the Star Wars content and it could be successful. And we saw that with like, the Mandalorian, we saw that in Rogue One, like a little bit grittier on this in Star Wars can be cool because the Star Wars universe is not like a gleaming, shining vision of the future. It's like kind of fucked up. And so when they delve into that a little bit, I think it, gets, it can be really cool. So Revenge of the Sith doesn't have a 10-year time jump like we did in the, the between the last two movies. It's just, I think, like a five-year time jump. So we're like knee-deep. Yeah. Uh, towards the back half of the Clone Wars, which is a seven-year conflict. The opening scene is an action scene, which I think is a great decision. You know, we've, we said uh, about the last For one, sure. you could have opened with a uh, a good action scene. And so there's this giant battle taking place above Coruscant where they've kidnapped Chancellor Valorum, or Chancellor Palpatine, sorry. Yeah. And he's been kidnapped by one of, this is probably the coolest original characters for the prequels, General Grievous, who, this is yet another character that is just tragically underexplained to us, because if you watch yeah. Clone Wars, or you read any of the supplemental material about his background, General Grievous is one of like the saddest, most tragic, most badass characters in all of Star Wars, period. And all we really know about him is that he's like half robot and steals lightsabers. That said, yeah. he's still super badass. He has like six arms. He fights with six lightsabers at a time. He has a cool voice. It's badass. I love General Yeah, I mean, his presentation's a little bit badass, but before we even see him on screen, we hear, uh, or maybe at, right after we see him on screen, him wheezing and stuff, we just see Samuel yeah. L. Jackson's characters be like, 
yeah, Grievous is going to run away and cower like he always does. And, like, that's his characterization by the Jedi. Instead of being, like, fearful. Again, which just kind of goes back to Lucas's failure to characterize correctly. It's just... Yeah, which like, sucks, dog, Like, show that these guys are intimidated by Grievous. He's, a, he's an eight-foot-tall robot with, like, like he's eight murdered, arms. Like, he's murdered, like, a dozen Jedi and taken their lightsabers. Right. Like... Which, in the this Clone Wars, there's a great episode of the Clone Wars where they introduce Grievous in the Clone Wars series, where there's a group of Jedi trainees who's been assigned this squadron of clone troopers, and they're, like, pinned down by robots in this crashed ship. It's surrounded by droids. They're all shooting. And then suddenly the droids stop shooting, and it's totally silent, and the Jedi are like, what's going on? What's going on? And they just, and they're like, what was that? And, like, it's kind of a horror movie type vibe where like Grievous is like darting between things and like they can't see him. And then he comes out from behind the thing and just like shoves a lightsaber right through the back of one of the Jedi comes out of his chest, kills him, takes his lightsaber, like starts fighting four Jedi at a time, just kicking their ass. He kicks ass. And yes, they just totally did him dirty. It's, it's tragic, man. I don't know if like, he's again, he's one of, I guess now what three villains that totally just, come and go in this trilogy which, which like, is crazy all of them are star wars just... the original star wars trilogy had like iconic villains dude like vader bubba fett jabba the hutt these are iconic villains that stood like even like minor like greedo the guy that han shot under the table in the cantina became like you know kind of a cultural phenomenon of the han shot first meme and yeah in this series it's just like he just did not want people to give a shit about any of the villains in it at all it sucks because he had great material to work with grievous was awesome dooku's awesome maul was awesome yeah it's sad and and again and i guess i want to preface it's not about screen time it's about character arc exactly exactly it's just about like the fact that you got these incredibly deep and competent characters and in what you know you describe as like the lore of star wars and they're not fleshed out at all they're all they're not only are they not fleshed out but they they get beat way easier than they should Oh yeah, all of well, them except for maybe like, Dooku. It's almost like all the characterization got left on the cutting room floor. We're missing mm-hmm. scenes of them doing the shit that I want to see them doing, and they didn't have time or something. Yeah. So yeah, it sucks. But so General Grievous has kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine. Above Coruscant, they're about to escape. Anakin and Obi Wan uh, they infiltrate the ship and they battle Count Dooku. Anakin, who now is like captain badass and starting to tap into that anger a little bit he ends up having dooku at his mercy and palpatine just on the side and he's like kill him and he decapitates count dooku which don't get me wrong i understand that as a, a narrative piece that like this is anakin giving in to his anger which is like important but like what a fucking unfitting end for count dooku dude like again just like killing this guy in the first 10 minutes we don't see Count Dooku do anything cool, ever. It's all yeah, done from off a, screen. From, okay, so I don't have a problem with that entire scene, and that's how I'm dying. But if it happened, it, it needs to be, like, in the last the last few minutes of one of the movies. Yeah, Maybe just... The, if, if that scene is the last few minutes of, like, the last of the second film, that yeah. makes more sense. Agreed, agreed. It's just, it's from a structure standpoint, you can't start a movie with, like, a really... I guess they did that with Thanos, like a bat, like a really badass guy dying, but it didn't end up really being his death. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, I yeah, I, I agree with you in saying that it's an unfitting ending. Um, but I do think that the fact that they they literally waited till well after the halfway point of episode two to try to get Anakin on his turn toward the dark side, they had no choice but to rush it at that point. Agreed, agreed. They should have, and that should have been coming a lot 
from a lot longer. Yeah. Like it should have been from for halfway halfway through episode one. We should have seen. We should have another seen bad piece of having Anakin be fucking six months old in the first movie is that it's very difficult to make a nine year old seem evil unless he's going to be like a serial killer who's like torturing animals. You unless know what he, I mean? Yeah. Like, unless he's uh, what's what's uh, the omen? Uh, yeah, like. Like Damien's name, yeah, Damien, yeah, he's Damien, like, yeah. They they had no choice, but because he was a nine year old little like you know blonde haired kid, they had to have him being like, "This is pod racing" for the entire first movie. Instead of making him sixteen and have him be like angst filled and like pissed because he's a fucking slave, which would make anyone pissed. Yeah. Have his mom die in the first movie. Make him witness it on some yeah. gangster shit, and then he's like pissed off about that. They're like dealing with that anger from the beginning. He's always like both capable of incredible feats of heroism and incredible feats of emotional torment. Like that could have been done so much better and more gradually. This is not rocket science. No, I don't. I'm, I mean, I don't even consider myself that good a writer, and I, I feel like that was that's pretty obvious. So he he decapitates yeah. Dooku, Grievous escapes, and they rescue Palpatine. The Jedi crash land on Coruscant, and Anakin reunites with Padme, and she's like, "By the way, I'm pregnant." Anakin's like, Ty, we're going to have a kid. And then he starts having visions of Padme dying in childbirth. And we are, you know, harken back to him being like, I can't let the people I love die around me anymore. So obviously Anakin and Palpatine are becoming like super close. Palpatine's starting to give him the, uh, the, uh, super Sithy advice. Not from a Jedi. And he appoints Anakin to the Jedi council as his personal representative, which like, Anakin is, like, the most emotionally blind human being. He is, like, such a buffoon throughout these movies where, like, he doesn't very clearly see that that's manipulation. That, like, you are basically choosing the Chancellor over your entire order and everyone who's ever trusted you and protected you your entire life at that point, which is a stretch in my opinion. Like, if I become friends tomorrow with the with the CEO of Google... And he's just like, I'm going to make you your boss's boss's boss. And suddenly I'm in charge of like all these people that I've like, you know, have been my mentors and stuff through zero accomplishment. Like, I'm probably just going to be like, ah, how about a raise instead? You know what I mean? Like, that's just not a good situation to put yourself in as far as like the respect around the office goes. Like, you're never going to have the trust and mutual respect of your colleagues in that situation. I don't know why he's so intent on joining the council. I guess it's just from a... He wants to be a powerful Jedi Master so he can protect his people is the story, but it's weird. All it takes is one conversation from a... Again, this goes back to the fact... I I said this in the first episode where there's a failure to have enough conversations about how characters feel as opposed to what they're going to do. And all it takes is is Anakin talking to Padme and just being like, man, I guess that my background, like coming from a slave, all I want is to be in charge of something like... I yeah. guess I have this complex. I want to have like, control. I, and I, yeah. And I feel disrespected. I feel like I'm being manipulated. I feel like I'm being owned. I feel like they think they can tread on me, and that pisses me off. So I would love nothing more to, to rise above this council that thinks they're better than me or controlling me, and I want to be one of them. Like, that's all I want to be is I want to be yeah, a master. I want maybe, to be a Jedi maybe he master. Blames, uh, maybe he blames the council for, like, Qui-Gon's death or, like, give him something to, like, hold against the council, which yeah. he doesn't really have. He has no reason to distrust the council other than the fact that they're, like, very understandably suspicious of Palpatine. There's several scenes where he's like, I can't believe you don't trust Palpatine. And they're all like, bro, he's... He's the emperor, you know that, right? Like he's very obviously the emperor. You, <laughs> you, you feel that vibe? Yeah. And okay, so I want to. I'll draw a parallel. I've heard somebody say that Anakin's downfall is similar to the other great 
horribly written downfall in modern series, <laughs> which is Khaleesi, which is Game of Thrones. How that is dragon dragon lady, right? Dress dragon lady. Okay, uh, nice. I think Anakin. I mean, they're you can. It's splitting hairs as to which one is worse, but they both struggle from the same thing, which is they ran out of time to write an adequate reason as to why somebody would go berserk or because she turns on a what, dime, right? She's like the great liberator, and then suddenly she's like, "Yo, both, burn the city to the ground, my guys!" <laughs> like they both, yeah, they both run out of time. The amount of episodes, the amount of screen time they have to write these characters. So they can no longer create reasonable reasons as to why they would change their perspective and become a different person and see things in a different way. So they have to make these people essentially sociopaths and just make them have unrealistic views of the world and make them a little unhinged. Like both Khaleesi and Anakin both have these just crazy turns in personality that make no sense. They both make just completely erratic decisions and again, if if you start throwing uh, chinks in the armor in season seven for Game of Thrones or in episode one for Anakin and show that he's a little bit unhinged, like that's all you need. It's not again. I said it's not rocket science. It's really not rocket science. Like make them have a fatal flaw and make that fatal flaw more of a gap as the episodes go on. It's not it's not crazy difficult. Yeah, agreed. So they accept, you know, his appointment to the council, but they will not let him be a Jedi master which he gets really pissed about. That seems totally reasonable. Like, he did not attain the rank of master. So, like, your uncle putting you in charge doesn't, you know, doesn't warrant that. Instead, they're like, hey, you you need to, like, you know, keep an eye on Palpatine. This request that he spy on Palpatine, like, super diminishes his faith in the Jedi, which... I guess at this point, Anakin's just already going down the dark path, but like you said, it's just so rushed, and it just seems like the fall is so quick. It's like he trips and falls into being a Dark Lord of the Sith, that you're just like, really? Like, that is what? Okay. He'd spent, at this point, nearly two decades with Obi-Wan and the Jedi, and he's been, like, close with Palpatine for, like, a month, and he's like, yeah, I'm ready to give it all up for Palpatine, bro. That's my guy. What's up, twin? So... Meanwhile, uh, while all this is going down, Grievous has been ordered to relocate the Separatist leaders to Mustafar, which is this volcanic world. It's super scary. It's where Darth Vader would eventually have his uh, throne world, his castle world. And Obi-Wan follows him there to uh, confront Grievous, and he ends up fucking killing Grievous. Yoda, meanwhile, heads to Kashyyyk, which is the homeworld of the Wookiees, and we get to see Yoda and Chewie do some you know, some fighting. Uh, Why does he go there? Invasion. I think at this point, the answers. Yeah. Effectively like the, the Wookiees are a valuable ally to the Republic and they needed someone to go there. So they sent Yoda, which yeah. Don't know. This is where Palpatine, such a, such a waste of fucking screen time, dude. Yeah. It's, I, it's like the more I, the more I listen to this, the more I get mad. I'm just like, I understand you want fan service, but dude, you've already provided enough same fan service. The fact that Anakin and Obi-Wan exist is enough fan service. Like, Tell a good story at this point. But this and and yet this is the best one. Like oh, this is the so best bad. movie. So Palpatine tempts Anakin. Uh, this is where he gives him the not from a Jedi. He's like he tells him, "Have you ever heard the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise?" And Anakin's <laughs> like, "No. How do you know about that?" And he's like, "Well, no. Uh, I uh, mm, ha. 
read it anyway. Um, uh, my, there, I have a friend who goes to a different high school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much, dude. Like, this is highly suspect knowledge to have. Like, the idea that he knows this shit is very weird and sketchy, but he does not ask any questions. So basically, Palpatine tells him, like, there used to be this this Lord of the Sith that was so powerful he could cheat death. He was effectively immortal. And he basically used that knowledge to keep others from from harming him. He would effectively be like, oh, you know, tempt people with that secret. And finally his, his apprentice got it out of him and then his apprentice killed him. And it's implied that that apprentice was Palpatine. Anakin correctly and quickly deduces that Palpatine is the Sith Lord behind the war and goes to Mace Windu and is like, hey, bro, He's the fucking Sith Lord. Mace Windu's like, I fucking told your ass, dude. So they roll in, they subdue Palpatine, but Anakin in this moment is torn because he knows Palpatine has the secret to saving Padme's life. And Mace Windu's like, bro, are you fucking kidding? Like, he's not going to save anyone. He's an evil Dark Lord of the Sith. I'm about to fucking kill his ass. And Anakin's like, no, that's not the, uh, that's not legal. We need to arrest him, blah, blah, blah. Mace Windu's like, no, nah, fuck all that. He's about to cut this motherfucker's head off. And he cuts, Anakin cuts Mace Windu's arms off, and then Palpatine goes, Unlimited power! And shocks him with lightning and throws him off the building and kills him. Can you Um, count on two hands the amount of times that I've sent you, with good context, the memes where... Palpatine is like, I'm so weak and yeah. unlimited power. It's like yeah. at 3 a.m. Like I'm hungover. I'm so weak. And then I'll text you at like 9 a.m. at a brunch. Unlimited power. <laughs> yeah, exactly. After exactly. like two mimosas. <laughs> and uh, oh, also this is where Palpatine gets his like signature look. Uh, Mace Windu like reflects the lightning that he's shooting at him for a minute with his lightsaber onto Palpatine's own face. So he gets all fucked up. And so uh, Mace Windu dies, dude, and Anakin pledges himself to Palpatine in exchange, you know, for this knowledge to save Padme. And Palpatine says, rise, Darth Vader. And so this is the the emergence of Darth Vader. Um, Palpatine then pretty much just like hits the chirp ringtone. Where you at? He's like, execute order 66. And proved he had shooters out there. He did have mad shooters. shooters. So then we see this horribly tragic montage of the clone troopers killing their commanding officers all across the galaxy, which like, don't get me wrong. This, this scene has enough emotional weight, but like when you stop and think about the fact that like all of these clone troopers and these Jedis have spent the last half decade, like in the mud and blood together, fighting every single day, forging close relationships. And they've always had each other's back. Like, these Jedis have had these clone troopers at their back every day for nearly 10 years, fighting this war to save the galaxy. And then on a dime, they all get executed in the most treacherous way possible. It's super fucking sad. As a movie viewer that didn't know the Clone War shit, it's sad. But again, as we kind of have pointed out, the fact that the first two movies don't do a good job of setting that up, it could be even worse. It could be... Like we said, start them. Start this prequel with Anakin as a teen and the Clone Wars have just kicked off. This is not hard. It would have shown all that. It's funny how, dude, I, I have watched some of the Clone Wars cartoon and I know that one of the main characters is the, the Jedi female who has like red and white effect, yeah. like braids built in. I don't know what she's yep. named, but she doesn't have any lines in the movie, but it shows her die. She's one of the Jedi that gets yep. got during Order 66. And that just highlights the opportunity that this movie missed that the fact that this 
relatively major character in the lore of the early, whatever you want to call that era of Star Wars, Anakin before he became Darth Vader, the fact that it doesn't highlight their existence at all in this film is shows it's the same problem they have with Count Dooku, same problem that they have with Grievous, potentially the same problem they have with Maul, just failure to set up these great characters. It sucks because I I remember seeing this in the theater and I thought this was such a, a powerful sequence and yet once you see what it could have been in your head based on like the the context of the characters you're like damn they kind of left something on the table here so they could have set that up for for two movies give me a scene earlier in the Clone Wars where like a Jedi about to get attacked by like a, a battle droid and a clone trooper like you know like shoots right over the jedi's shoulder and like kills the battle droid and he's like oh man you saved me you know what i mean like show the camaraderie between the jedi and, and the like clone helps troopers him and like like reaches exactly. out a hand helps him to his feet and things like give that. me some yeah. give me some clone troopers that are characters you know not necessarily named or anything but show me like you know that like the jedi and the clones are close cuz they're kind of just droids effectively in the movies like we don't they're they're kind of expendable the idea of like betrayal is made by emotional weight in connection. And I think that this point takes not just one line of dialogue, maybe two lines of dialogue, just to kind of drive it home. I need you to tell the audience that these clones, while they are human, are engineered to act a certain way. Foreshadow that. Foreshadow that, hey, they are soldiers, but they've got this kind of, this robot mind mentality, this hive mentality that can be attached to them dude show me like another show me a different order you know what i mean like like a high like like a super high tension situation and some clone commanding officer some other republic officials like hey uh send out order 44 and they're like what's that and and it shows like the the clone troopers do like a suicide bombing or something crazy on the droids to like save the jedi and let these guys escape and they're like holy shit that is such a good idea and then, and then at that moment, the Jedi's realize like, oh, like I've been treating them like they're totally normal humans, but there's like an underlying programming to these guys. And then you're like, oh, that shit. dude, that is I, out of all the YouTube videos I've seen, out of all the little notes I've written since I rewatched it, that is, that's probably the single best unique foreshadow idea I've heard yet. Is just show me that orders exist in maybe I would say the second movie. Like when they do the the fight on whatever the bat what is the Badlands planet you said where they've got the Coliseum? Uh Geonosia. Uh, Geonosis or whatever. Yeah, yeah Geonosis. Show Sorry, me on thank you. She, show me on Geonosis this crazy, you know, some guy gets a command to execute this order. Show the audience that and have a Jedi speak to damn, damn son, where'd you find this? Yeah. Dude. Yeah. I love that idea. I think that'd be so cool and it would add all this weight to that. So that goes down, everyone's getting murked, and then we have like probably the like maybe the the most fucked up scene, which is we see now Vader, you know, Anakin, now Vader, leading a battalion of clone troopers into the Jedi Temple and just slaughter the Jedi. And there's this horrible sequence where you see What uh, should we do? Yeah, what should we do, Master, Master Anakin? Anakin? And he just turns yeah. on the lightsaber. You're like, oh, fuck. He went young nutty on them, dude. Dude, he killed. it's the second time he's killed a room full of children. Anakin's, Anakin's fucked up, dude. He um, went gunna on them. So Vader then travels to Mustafar, and his now that the uh, the coup is complete and the Jedi have been eliminated and Palpatine has all the power, it, it, the Separatists don't need to be in existence anymore. And in fact, 
it serves his purposes pretty nicely to just like eradicate the separatist movement and be like, yeah, see, I won. So he sends Anakin uh, to Mustafar to just wipe out all the separatist leaders who we saw Grievous move to Mustafar earlier in the film. Palpatine goes in front of the Galactic Senate and declares himself emperor and not just emperor of the Republic, but emperor of the first galactic empire and shows his scars on his face. And is like, this was an assassination attempt by the traitorous Jedi who were working against us the whole time. And so he like his full plan comes to fruition. He turned the entire galaxy against the Jedi, wiped them out and took power all in one fell swoop. Question right there. There's a lot of parallels between him and Julius Caesar. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just pointing that out. I just as, as you said that, like declaring yourself emperor, which not the first Roman general to declare themselves em, uh, emperor. No dictator. Is it dictator more more or less? What was the What was the term they used to use when they would take over the triumvirate in times of need? They would have one yeah, dictator, in, and in then times, it was emperor. Yeah, Cons- like consul, consul, like. Yeah, like in yeah. times of great need, and like they did view it a little differently, though. Like it was considered a duty, not an honor, and so they would like many of them did return. Allegedly. Yeah, I mean, uh, th- many not- of them did return the power willingly, which to the Senate, yes. which is a key. Like that doesn't happen much which in the is modern crazy. world, uh, which takes a crazy amount of like humility to do that. But Caesar was famously not one of them, and then obviously his campaign against Gaul is like <laughs> an all-time just like ass whooping uh, all ass whippings that and also uh contrived campaign if oh you will. yeah definitely there's like famously there's only like one one or two manuscripts of caesar's conquering against gaul and one of them is his own recounting of it so hey, like man. we don't really know what happened to vercingetorix but whatever he's like all right so i'm out there solo dolo right just like yeah. by myself <laughs> It's it's the Soldier Boy uh, video of him <laughs> recounting when people came into his apartment. So I, ju- I was like, so I jump off the balcony. I jump off the balcony with a parachute on my back with two Dracos. Like blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. Where were we at? Um. So obviously, Palpatine's just declared himself Emperor of the Galactic, uh, the first Galactic Empire, and uh, only a couple Jedi survive. Obviously, Obi Wan and Yoda uh, make it back to Coruscant. Uh, Yoda survived uh, the assassination attempt on Kashyyyk, and Obi-Wan made it out as well. Obi-Wan learns that Anakin's turned to the dark side, and Yoda instructs Obi-Wan to go confront uh, Vader, and he's going to go confront Palpatine. So, Obi-Wan goes in first. He's like, well, if I'm going to go fuck with Anakin, I'm going to go fuck with his girl first. So, he goes to Padme, and he's like, where is Classic. he? And City basically reveals to her that, you know, he's a traitor. And Padme is like, I'm coming with you. So she dips out to go to Mustafar to basically to see Anakin and Obi-Wan stows away on the ship. And she basically pleads to him to abandon the dark side and leave with her. Like, you got to leave. This is bullshit. You're being such a piece of shit. And he refuses because he's like, you don't understand. Like, I have the power to, like, protect everyone. Like, you'll never die now, blah, blah, blah. He's listened to far too much, like, census fail in the use. Absolutely. He's deep in his like, feelings. Like, a, with. he's yeah. full, he's in full soft boy mode at this point. So, as somebody that's been to Warp Tour, I know what he was feeling at this moment. I understand it. Seeing, uh, so Obi, he spots Obi Wan and he thinks that they're conspiring to kill him. That's what it says here. I think it's more implied that he thinks that they're, like, involved. Fucking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry that you were you were trying to put that in a PC way, and I was like, "There, fuck <laughs> So he's pissed. But can, can I say one thing right here, real yeah. quick? And just a quick insert before you go on. 
the line that Natalie Portman gives where she says, Anakin, you're breaking my heart. It's easily the the best acting of this entire trilogy. Yeah. And it's and it is quite possibly the only either directed line or the only line that essentially tries. Like yeah. I, I truly cannot think of a single line in this entire trilogy that has as much emotional weight as that line. The fact that I still remember that one line is I don't know. It's telling, anyways. It is. And and it, this is kind of the emotional culmination of the film. So Anakin, like, he's in a blind rage at this point. He strangles Padme unconscious. And Obi-Wan, like, comes to her defense. They get in this huge lightsaber duel. And Anakin ends up on this, like, floating platform. And Obi-Wan's up on the hillside. And the famous quote, like, don't do it. I have the high ground. And Anakin's like, no. Nah. I'm the go- I'm the goat. I'm the chosen one, and he tries to jump he over Obi Wan. He thought it was and o- Luca and yeah, so. and Obi Wan's like, "Bitch, I will cut your legs off, dude!" And he does. He just straight cuts Obi Obi Wan just straight cuts his legs off, and then he cuts off his left arm. So he's- all he's got left is you know lucky right robot arm, and leaves him on the bank of this lava flow to die. And he's just horribly burned. And he's and this is where Obi Wan. I think this is another good uh, a-, a good point of acting is. Obi-Wan being like, you were supposed to be the chosen one. You were supposed to eradicate the dark side, not join it. Like, that's great. Yeah. So back on Coruscant, Yoda's doing this crazy battle scene in the Galactic Senate chamber with Palpatine. So they're like jumping from all those floating platforms and like throwing them at each other with the force and like shooting lightning and shit. They end up like reaching a stalemate and Yoda realizes he's not going to win this shit. So he dips. And he flees with one Senator Bail Organa, father of Leia Organa. Is that um? Oh God, help me out with the actor. The guy's on the West Wing. Who's uh? Yes, yes. Native American in real life was his name. Yep. I can't remember his name. Jimmy Smith. Yes, and so that's Goat. that's Leia. That's uh Princess Leia's dad, who is the senator from Alderaan, who would later be smoked on screen in Star Wars: A New Hope. He was on the planet when it got smoked by the Death Star. He got Brian Silva. He did. He got Gratatad. So Yoda ends up regrouping with Obi Wan and Padme, and Padme gives birth to twins, who she names Luke and Leia, and then she dies. Which th- her death is explained so fucking weird. They're like, they can't just be like, she died in childbirth or like her being choked unconscious hours before giving birth was detrimental. They're like, she died of a broken heart, bro. Like <laughs> she lost her will to live, dude, or some weird shit like that. But she's still Which, whatever losers. at this point, whatever. <laughs> the same trilogy that had fucking Jar Jar Binks is thrown at us like she died of a broken heart. Like, she, come on, I, man. She, I guess she just didn't have enough midi-chlorians, you know? Her midi-chlorian count got too low, and so she... <laughs> this isn't a Nicholas Sparks novel, dog. She, like, she needed to... Not- <laughs> She need to get a midi chlorian infusion. Like they keep, do they keep a bag of that shit on the star on the star cruiser in case a Jedi bleeds? Like, can you lose midi chlorians? You know, hey, you know who has that? If you give me enough oh, Republican credits, Watto can definitely get you a pint of Jedi blood in a mason jar for the right price, bro. He's got access to dark shit, dude. Okay, of all the characters they've introduced, Watto is definitely the plug. Oh, no doubt, yeah, dude. Watto is definitely uh, cross universe friends with the uh, the Jewish goblins from Harry Potter that are like nakedly <laughs> racial stereotypes as well that live in the bank and 
fucking guard gold with their lives. <laughs> like that's all these, all these fictional Jews, man. <laughs> it's it's truly a an interdimensional Jewish it's unbelievable, ra- un, just unbridled racism. And these works came out in like two thousand. You know, Alex Jones went to Alex Jones went to like a Phantom Menace and was like, hell yes, <laughs> like he was like. Fuck yes. <laughs> These movies came out in like 2000 and like 2004 respectively. Like way too late to be just making unbridled racist jokes against Jews. Fuck I, yeah, As dude. if that was ever in vogue. But like, golly, come well, on, man. Okay, if a movie comes out in 1938, I can understand it. Like there was very prominent anti-Semitism at the time. Like plenty of them. There, were, there was a thriving American Nazi party. We were still dealing with all that shit. It wasn't really until we fought the Nazis and we were like defining ourselves against, you know, by comparison against our enemies. We were like, Hey, we should pull back from that shit, but it's 2000 dude. Come on guy. Like, and, and like you said in the, in the previous section, dude, all he had to do was, was not do the nose. If you could have, if you could have just resisted the nose, it, it probably would have been fine. It's, it's unreal. Water's accents kind of, I can't really point to what it is, but if I had to attempt, it would probably land on Eastern Europe. Yeah, he's definitely like an Estonian Jew. You know what I mean? Like a that's a, that's what's crazy. Again, I'm not I'm not the offender here. George Lucas is right. His accent, his nose, his obsession with money. Yeah, <laughs> like any three of those. Take away one of them, and I would have not been like, man, this is fucked up. But he does all three. It's yeah. nuts. Yeah, the trifecta. So, yeah, unfortunately, uh, Padme dies. She does have Luke and Leia, but she goes out still believing there's good in Anakin. Meanwhile, Palpatine has his droid boys uh, retrieve Vader, who's barely alive, takes him to Coruscant, and they basically, like, his body's, like, super mutilated. He's lost all his limbs, so he puts him in a back-to-tank to, like, try to, like, heal him a little bit, and they cover his whole body in this black power armor suit, robotic limbs. As he's coming back, too, he asks if Padme is safe, and Palpatine tells him that you killed her out of anger, which is like some straight 48 laws of power, <laughs> like super emotional manipulation type beat. Uh, I think it's 47 laws of power. You and cultured swine. Well, I'm the book's called 48 laws of power. Never mind. Oh, I was like, is this, I was, I was like waiting to see where the bit was going. I was like, no, the books, I, don't worry. I had, no, a really, I, I had a very big sociopath of a boss who read it religiously and made us all read chapters from it so it's for sure the 48 laws of power i read it in college before i knew what it was about and even my moldable mind in college was like yeah this is pretty fucked up because the the whole thing is about like you betray your friends like oh never tell your friends and close confidants how you really feel about things it just seems it's like reading it's like someone who reads machiavelli's the prince and views it as a how-to guide don't get me wrong there's probably useful information to be gleaned from reading that book but anyone that's like this is how i'm gonna live my life needs to be watched and probably on a list like sure it's it's like applicable slightly to like maybe the most shrewd business but outside of that like keep it away it's basically a more incel driven version of uh art of war yes absolutely so yeah palpatine tells him he killed padme so he's super pissed obi-wan and yoda basically decide they're going to conceal the twins from the sith i'm not really sure why don't get me wrong it's good to not let babies be in the hands of evil people but like they don't give a good reason i they could have used a line of dialogue here and be like you know imagine 
how powerful in the force these two are going to be or something like that. Yeah. And they decide to go into exile until it's the right time to challenge the empire. They do Padme's funeral on Naboo and Palpatine and Vader, uh, start to supervise the construction of the death star. So they hand the children off. They give Leia to Bail Organa to be raised on Alderaan, him and his wife adopter. And then Obi-Wan delivers Luke to his step aunt and uncle Owen and Beru on Tatooine and then which they're not really step aunt and uncle they're just like a guy he met in passing as he murdered an entire village no hold on right it's, um... he met them in passing well I guess I guess my marriage yeah because Owen's dad married Anakin's mom right yeah it's like a real twice removed situation and again like we mentioned in the last section like that decision makes very little sense like as far as location the people yeah that that's not where you'd hide them at all um the bail organa thing makes sense because she's got protection it it makes sense from like an event standpoint where it's like hey we're fleeing you know what i mean we're being hunted who can i hand this kid off to where she'll be safe this guy helped me escape i know he's loyal he's a good dude like He's going to Alderaan, which is peaceful and safe and powerful. They have their own military. Like, here you go. Um, Why not give them both? Another good question. Like, I guess, I mean, I guess separating them makes sense for me. You know, it's harder to find two separate things. But I don't know, man. That whole part is weird. Um, well, give, and, give, give Luke to another senator. This is, <laughs> Luke got dude. the shaft is what I'm getting at. Oh, Luke got definitely. Out of princess deal. Leia became a princess. Luke was drinking blue milk on the moisture farm, bro. And, like, cleaning droids with the Jawas. So, the other thing about this that's weird is the timeline. Like, I understand their desire to do fan service and be like, hey, look, they're building the Death Star. Remember the Death Star? But Luke's, like, one. When we see him, he's, like, at least 18. So, like, the first Death Star took, like, 20 years to build, I guess. They build that second, much more powerful, twice as large Death Star in, like, six months. Did they just get way better? Did Imperial... Did the Imperial construction crews like their union make a better deal i mean it's not years because they're they're running they run from hoth they i mean i guess it's a little bit of time because oh you mean the second one i was thinking of the i was thinking of the force awakens one no no i'm thinking i'm talking about the second death star the actual death star that's in return of the jedi i mean it's it's maybe a year or so because we do see luke is like much more developed as a jedi by the time he gets to jabba's palace to rescue han but like Han can't have been in Carbonite for more than, like, a couple months, like, to half a year, maybe. You can't be in Carbonite that long, you die. So, very strange. I don't know why. I guess he just really liked Death Stars, bro. Like, motherfucker loved Death Stars. If if Vader's getting input on the Death Star situation, you think he'd be like, yo, I know what planet we're gonna fuck up. Tatooine, my dude. Because I was a slave God, there. No shit. Watto sucks. My mom got murked by Tusken Raiders, and now I can kill all the Tusken Raiders at one time. Dude, Watto's selfish ass got off scot-free in this whole thing. Dude, he he went out happy as a clam, dude. He got a little hat by the second time we saw him. He was, like, still buzzing around in his little wings running his junkyard. Like, he lost his only other slave. He had to sell her. But, you know, slaves come and go, dude. If Qui-Gon had just taken Shmi with Anakin, does Anakin become evil? No, Maybe not. No way. Probably not. His mom is his mom is chatting with him, being like, you know, come home by eight. Yeah, know, exactly. All that, all that stuff. I, the yeah, I feel I feel like Qui Gon's decision to fucking tacitly support slavery is what created Darth Vader. Honestly, everyone on Alderaan died because of racism. There you go. I mean, we 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 shit on a lot of parts of this movie, but 
it's the best from an emotional standpoint. It grips you. The conflict between Anakin and Obi-Wan is definitely, you know, the part that everyone remembers, the eye of the high ground, the emotional toll between and Anakin, the betrayal of the Jedi by the clone troopers. Um, all those things land really well. I mean, they, they do a really good job. This is my favorite of the prequels. I knew going in it was going to be dark and sad, and it was, but I still really enjoyed this movie. I think it's definitely the strongest. Because they had to. They had to rush it. They, there's no choice. Yeah. They had to. Yeah, true. True. Someone brought up, and I think this is a good this is a good point, that they did not have to end with the equilibrium that they did. There was this there there felt like this need that it has to end with the Galactic has taken over. They didn't have to. They could have ended with maybe Anakin has turned, but that's it. Or they could have ended with Anakin is starting to feel evil and that's it. There's no there's no um they did not have to end with Anakin is purely Darth Vader. And the Empire has taken over. And I think that... So as much as I've talked about the fact that they rushed it, I they think they could have also, on the back end of that, could have maybe not ended with the ending that they did. So it could have gone either way, if you will. That They could have, they could have kicked it off sooner, but they could have ended it further off. I, I definitely agree with you. I think we, we've seen, though, that like they didn't want to leave any oxygen between movies. You know what I mean? Like People liked it when... like. Like Rogue One, for instance, they shoved a movie between these two other movies and literally showed the first scene of the following movie at the end of that movie. You know what I mean? Like, people love that shit in, in the Star Wars. Yeah, but they, they didn't they do that with every... episodes one and two. They didn't, I agree with you, and, I, and, and, and I'm not surprised that, you know, people people are hoping for content that fits in there. You know what I mean? Like, people have wanted, like, oh, I want more young Obi-Wan the Jedi Knight content. When they announced the Obi-Wan show, that's what people, a lot of people were hoping that was going to be that place. So people want every minute of the Star Wars timeline on a screen. That's why we got Clone Wars, you know what I mean? Because, like, we don't really see the Clone Wars that much. Like, we see the first battle of the Clone Wars, and then we kind of see the culmination of the Clone Wars. But the actual wars involving clones, not so much. Yeah. I give these movies a, in order, Phantom through Revenge of the Sith. Probably a three, three, four, five, and if anything, that's that feels high. I feel like I could easily give them two, three, four on the rating scale of between yeah. one and ten. Um, I don't know, man. A two to me, dude, is like the movie that I would never watch again. Like I would literally, under no circumstances, you couldn't pay me to watch a movie that I'd give a two. The IMDb scale. If I see a movie as a two point zero on IMDb, I'm like, this was. Probably made, you know, in Eastern Europe involving Dolphur and Lundgren. I get it. It sucks, but it's like a five. You know what I mean? I was actually thinking about that earlier. What would I actually put on the one to ten? Because I always, you know, I float between six and eight a lot on this pod. I was thinking, and we we should probably do a separate episode on what we think about, you know, what is our true scale. But I almost put Axum as zero. One is the room. And two is uh, Santa's sleigh, S-L-A-Y. With uh, Hulk Hogan See, or whoever was in I that. don't even think you can put The Room that low because while The Room is objectively a terrible film, it is unbelievably entertaining. It's hard for me to put that in the same category as a movie like Manos, The Hands of Fate or like, you know, something on the sci-fi channel at three in the morning that you've never heard of. You know what I mean? Just like, I think there is value to being so bad it's good. Yeah, like, like, Bird- so bad like it's Birdemic, good. Yeah. Like Birdemic is the worst movie ever made from a technical standpoint. I'm convinced of that. It is so it's technically, it just fucking unbelievably 
incompetent, but it is one of the have most you seen rewarding Axum? viewing experience. I have not. You need to watch Axum. Okay. Have you seen Birdemic? No, but I... Okay, I, okay I, we'll I, trade. I, we'll trade. You watch Birdemic, <laughs> Shock and Terror, and I'll watch Axum. Is Birdemic the same thing as... Uh, is it like a spinoff of Birds by Alfred Hitchcock? Oh, let me tell you. The guy, the Oracle software salesman that used his life savings to make Birdemic, he was definitely heavily influenced by Alfred Hitchcock. He considers himself a real artiste. It is what it is. No, but dude, you have to watch it. It's in-fucking-credible. Like, it is... Oh my god, I can't wait for you to, like, just go to YouTube and just type in Birdemic Shock and Terror and watch, like, the trailer or watch any, like, the best scenes of or anything. Like, the decisions made in this movie, there are driving scenes in this movie where it's like, okay, I'm gonna go drive to this place, you see the guy get in the car, and then the camera goes to the dashboard, and it's real-time driving. Nine minutes with no with no music and no anything just driving it's like the meta as hell it's man crazy dude it's crazy or like it, it's like trying to show a guy do a and this is very highly specific to me but you've done a sales job it shows there's a scene where a guy goes he's on the phone he's like what would you say about that deal sir yeah you'll sign all right hey and i'll tell you what i'm gonna give you 50 percent off all right, thanks. And, he hangs the phone. <laughs> and then he turns around and he's like, I just closed the biggest deal in company history. And I always think about how much trouble you'd get in if you closed the biggest deal in company history. And then after they agreed, you gave them half off. You just like destroyed the company's margins. Like, <laughs> Oh, it's so great. I, I need you to watch it. It's, it's one of that the is, greatest. Uh, we won't say the name of the company. That That's uh, very vibes. Oh, of yeah. The that oh, we've yeah. We've seen, we've seen deals like that in our time. We've oh definitely seen God. deals like that, but yeah, Seth oh, Baldwin showed me Birdemic and I've watched it probably once a year ever since it's cause it's like, it's got the greatest backstory, this crazy director, not director. He wrote, directed, starred all of it in this movie. It's super heavy handed with this crazy political message. In so it. did Tony Weissau, bro. Right, right. And then this guy decided he was going to get this movie some attention. So he covered his truck in fake blood and feathers and like signs that said like pandemic shock and terror and parked it at the Cannes film festival for a week and like slept in his truck, handing out free DVDs of the movie and having people get in his truck with him and watch the movie. And that's how it got. It's like, that's, a, I mean, cult, that's cult actually following. a pretty sick idea. If you have a legitimately good story at hand. Well, and, or know? if it's so crazy and so incompetently, yeah. like it's, this movie is so bad. You could not do it on purpose. You know what I mean? Like if you tried to make a movie like this on purpose, it would, it wouldn't work. You know what I mean? It's like, this is like the kind of bad you can only do unconsciously. He was shooting from the logo. Yeah, absolutely, dude. It's like the ice JJ fish of films. You it truly is. don't know if he's fucking around. <laughs> yeah, that's like... absolutely what's occurring. And like, it's like the Tommy Wiseau thing where like 10 years later, he's still like low key convinced it's genius. And like, people are like, yeah, it's hilarious to laugh at. And he's like, yeah, I mean, that's what I was going for the whole time. And you can just totally tell. You're like, no, you didn't, motherfucker. You thought this shit was slapping hard, dude. You thought this shit was going to stop climate change. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's weird, dude. That's like all, all any one of the clout chasers that's kind of low-key a moron. You're like, are, are they a genius or are they a total moron? Dude, there's something, one about, there's something about like invincible delusional confidence that will take you really far in life in a lot of areas. Like... I've seen it in the professional world where there's just somebody that's like they're not good at their job, but they're totally convinced they are. And like, if you can fool a couple people around you, game, set, match, baby. <laughs> Six figures all like, day. Does the ca- Catch Me Outside girl, does she know that she's crazy? 
Or like the the who is the Asian girl that was like thirteen and was always like counting money. And oh shit man, in that's Los the saddest Angeles. story. You're talking about the youngest collector in the game, Lil Tay, dude. Lil Tay, yeah, yeah. You what know, it turned out it, it actually came out that like her family was like, no, you need to say. I'm the youngest flexor of the century and then hold up the money and call them broke bitches. Now do it again. She was just a totally Damn. normal little girl. And they were like making her do that. Like the balloon kid. Yeah, dude. Exactly like, like the balloon whatever, kid, right? dude. Falcon. That kid's name was Falcon. Wild. That's fitting. People people pimping their kids out for clout is like among the saddest realities we have currently occupy. But anyway, sorry. We got way off track of Star Wars. But yeah, man. Overall... <laughs> <laughs> no, overall, we did not because pimping their kids out exactly what Qui Gon Jinn would be in favor. That is what Qui Gon Jinn would be down for. I overall, I think I would I would match your order. Although from a like, this is how I, this is my personal disappointment. It would go Attack of the Clones is the worst, then Phantom, and then Revenge of the Sith. But from an objective like That's quality un- of totally film understandable. Yeah, but from an objective film quality standpoint, I 100 percent agree with you that it's like Phantom is the worst movie standalone. It's, especially. it's awful. Phantom it is, truly is awful. such a bad movie. It is. Yeah. If you like change some of the names around and like disconnected it from star Wars and then released that as a film, people would laugh at you that you thought that was a movie. Like it, it would be no. Horrendous. Yes. That, that was my point. That's why I texted you 20 minutes in and said, dog, this is worse than spy kids. It, 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 it and I know that people are going to throw stones, but it really is worse than Spy Kids. Go it, go watch the te- first twenty minutes of the movies of both and ask me and and, and think critically which one has better pacing and a, a more coherent plotline. I'm I'm dead serious. It's a testament to just how like important Star Wars is to people that yep. they'll accept that and be like, no, this is good. Like I promise, you know what I mean? Like you're convincing yourself. I'm gonna say something very controversial on this. Uh, I truly believe that Star Wars is significantly better than the sum of its parts. What Star Wars means to the cultural zeitgeist is significantly better than any one of the standalone movies. I I would yeah, petition I would, I would that. say that's true for most like giant things like Star Trek, even like as a concept and like what it represents to people is better than any individual episode of this super corny 1960s TV show where they're like, you know doing bad acting you know yeah what I mean? and like, I, but i could almost i could almost look at it as far as like a I could, I could weigh it against the times and say that there are certain stories that in compared to when they came out i, I think up. like movies like empire strikes back man i think empire strikes back is really fucking good i think that's a, a slapper a, 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 a slapper. very very close to a flawless film in many ways i think that george lucas has a problem with his writing and that is that his writing feels very much like, and I've compared it to this in the past in our other podcast, where you're playing a playground game with friends when you're like in first grade, and there's like six of you, and you. No, all I actually like, had a. I actually oh, had a, a oh, force field. A, yeah, no, that's what, I, that's what I'm getting at. It's like when you're like, oh, there's bad guys over there. Oh, I shot them, but more came back. Oh, I have to run over here. Oh, I found the secret gun. Like it very yeah. much feels like. That level of pacing where it's like, what is happening right now? What is going to happen next? Who the hell knows? Because it's not but set up at all. Let's be it honest. Makes, George the fucking... No character decisions make sense. George the fucking genius, okay? George had like one half-baked good idea. Some people around him 
including some people that have never gotten credit, did an amazing job helping him write and direct the first trilogy. Yes, thank then, you. That is then, exactly correct. Then yes. he like shit out some prequels that were pretty poorly received, and then he sold that shit for like all the money in the universe to a group of people that he knew would one continue to make the money roll in for him so he would always be wealthy and two would do such a poor job that he would look pretty good in retrospect so now today star wars fans are like man george got shit on dude he was killing it like <laughs> that shit was pretty fire actually man it's it this podcast often puts me in a tough spot because i'm a writer you're a writer we, we have this jealousy complex where it's like you know, we're going to critique things, novels, stories, whatever. And it's tough when we encounter stories like this where George Lucas is wildly successful. He's more successful than we will ever be, but he's not a good writer. And it sucks. It, it feels, I think a lot of people are going to hear us talk about it and it, it's going to sound jaded that we sit there and go, George Lucas does not know what he's talking about with storytelling. I, and I feel like in a lot of our episodes, we maybe come across that where we'll talk about a successful author from a commercial standpoint or a piece of work that's pretty famous. And we just we kind of rail on it for its shortcomings. And this is no different. And that's every critic, right? Yes. Like, it's almost impossible to be a critic and not come across as like, especially to people that actually are creators. Like, it, there is almost no critic that does not reek of failed creation to them no one dreams the old adage of like you know no one is like you know 10 years old being like when i grow up i want to write movie reviews for the new york times you know what i mean like everyone wants to be a director like that's the that's the actual dream so when you can't do that but you still have a lot of knowledge of film you end up in you know the space of commentary and that you know i think commentary can is good and healthy and adds uh, a layer of analysis that can be incredibly valuable to the audience at large. But obviously, yes, you run the risk of coming across as someone that's like, I could have written something much better than this. Everyone go download my ebook. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I will say this. I've watched a ton of Comic-Con panels or like writing panels of agents and publishers and authors that will win the topic of J.K. Rowling comes up or win the topic of... Fifty Shades of Grey comes up, they'll kind of look at each other and snicker and kind of like, there's almost this fraternal understanding of writers that there are big names that have maybe missed the mark in the past. So I I take a little bit of solace in feeling that we're not alone and we're not the only ones that come across in this sort of pattern of we haven't met, we haven't accomplished what, say, somebody like George Lucas has, but we can call out that this dialogue is horrible, right? Anakin's fall to the dark side is not well set up right the use of screen time of say this is like seven hours eight hours of screen time in these three movies it's not well used time right um i I feel like he maybe fell into the same trap he fell into the first time around which is that like he wrote what would amounted to what in his head was six movies and then lopped it off and that's why the first star wars are like kind of tight because he was you know, intentionally like, okay, cool. I'm leaving half of this out. Well, when you're writing the prequel trilogy, you're kind of like, okay, I have to get in everything I didn't get in the first time. And he, once he started fleshing that story out, it probably should have been more than three movies, but the, you know, framework that they had established was that there's a prequel trilogy and a, you know, original trilogy. And you've confined yourself to like, this is how the story is going to be told. Like some people are good at 
you know, structuring it over a certain amount of movies or whatever, and some people are not. And Lord of the Rings worked really well as a trilogy simply because they were working off really great trilogy-based source material. Star Wars had totally open, you know, totally open formatting, and I don't think George worked well in those confines. Do you think that he actually thought about the entire six movies at this, you know, early on? No, I think that's totally impossible. Um, You know, I'll bring up a, you know, one of my favorite Star Wars memes ever is that, like, George's weird desire to have everything connect to everything leads to, and I'll just read the meme verbatim because it's so good, Han Solo showed up on Vader's Death Star hours after Alderaan was destroyed. On his ship, he carried Vader's son, Vader's daughter, Vader's astrometric droid, the protocol droid Vader built as a kid somehow, the Wookiee who saved uh, Asahoka's life, who had (laughs) interacted with Anakin as a kid, and literally Obi-Wan Kenobi back from the dead. Vader must have been like... Who the fuck is this fucker in the vest? Then, something like a day later, he sneaks up on Vader, one of the greatest pilots the galaxy has ever seen, in what is essentially a heavily modified 18-wheeler, and shoots him in the ass. So, like, that that was fine in the original movie, because, like, all those characters weren't connected. Right. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't see all those connections. It was like, if you had told someone right after seeing A New Hope, they're like, yeah, you know Darth Vader built C-3PO? They'd be like, What? That's stupid. No, he didn't. You know what I mean? Like all these, but the need, weirdly, Star Wars collapsed from this like limitless universe of possibility with like random people from the backwater becoming important to like basically like a family drama. Like all the important characters are like (laughs) direct blood relations, um, which is kind of a lazy way to connect everyone. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I don't think he had this written down somewhere. What he did have and what I will give the prequels you know, I don't know if we're going straight into like overall thoughts here, but what I do think the prequels do well is from a thematic standpoint, I understand the broad strokes of probably what he wanted to accomplish. And I do think he probably had that in mind, right? Like the overarching themes of Star Wars from episode one to episode six, I'm sure he had in his head to some degree. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you start to flesh those out into minute details, it becomes a lot more complicated. But I think that we got to see. If you'd made a, uh, if I had made a wish list of what I wanted to see out of the prequels, we see those things, you know, like I want to see the Galactic Republic at the height of its power. I want to see how it fell. I want to see the rise of the Empire. I want to see the Jedi at the height of their power and how these incredibly powerful, you know, beings at the height of their power and in large numbers could have been defeated by what seems to be like a standard military in the Empire led by, you know, one one dark side user is the dark side that much more powerful than the light side, etc. And so the thematic things that I wanted to see and I think were required for the overall narrative are there and done are are, are good. He has it has good foundations and good roots. And that's why I think ten years later the prequels still have somewhat of a soft spot spot in people's heart. Like they're everyone I think most people that I talk to, even hard, hardcore Star Wars people, will openly admit that these are not good films, but they're not vehemently hated like the the soulless disney ones are you know i don't i think in five years i don't know if anyone i think part of that's nostalgia to be honest i i I agree with you but i also think that like even kids right now like kids that were 10 when they saw rise of skywalker aren't gonna watch rise of skywalker in 10 years i think we're, we're we're downplaying how big a deal the star wars sequels were when they started coming out Obviously, that's been like kind of forgotten in the haze of how bad they've gotten and how much Star Wars we've gotten in the intervening years. But when Force Awakens came out, you know, this is a billion-dollar box office. Like the hype was huge. And the trailer was sick. People were very so excited for it. The trailer looks. And the awesome. trailer was super sick. 
Um, but yeah, I think overall there's just a lot more life in the prequels than there is. Not not in the acting, not in the dialogue, but just in the universe that it shows. We we get to see there's a, it just feels a lot more Star Warsy. There's just like nooks and crannies to these movies that don't exist in The Force Awakens or or any of them uh, of the new ones. Um, so yeah, I think that that's what I'd say about that that topic is. Do I think that he's he, he somewhere on a napkin he had the name Jar Jar Binks written down? No, I don't. Do I think that he, you know, had the broad strokes of like, here's here's the, you know, we're going to show the Republic and the Jedi at the height of their power, but also corruption is sneaking in. This allowed for them to have a weakness at the Emperor and therefore the Empire could eventually exploit and bring That's their downfall. That's fair. I guess that part kind of me of thinks thing. that if you're storyboarding something and you come out with the storyboard that ended up being these six films, you, from that high level view, you would be able to look at Phantom Menace and say this has no bearing on the plot other than introducing characters. Yeah. And, and um, we'll get into this when we get into the, the rewrites, but like, obviously my, my version of Phantom Menace would look significantly different. Let's just get into um, it. Cause I know we've kind of, we've talked in sure. circles and I, and, and I guess before, before we actually get into it, we've recorded this, we, we've had to have a few different sessions. I don't know if I've actually said this bit of hot take, but after watching this, these uh, going back and rewatching the prequels, I I've heard a lot of conjecture over the years about, uh, it'll have like Harry Potter and it'll have Star Wars and it'll have like the Batman trilogies from Nolan and Lord of the Rings. And it'll be like, you know, you can only have, you know, you have to remove one of these, which one would it be or which one of these franchises would you pick to disappear forever? And at the beginning of this, I had said that Star Wars is bigger than the sum of its parts. But, and I, and I would almost say the same thing about something like Harry Potter. Like if you go back and you know, you read some of the, the, the conversation about these films, people will be like, yeah, but the Harry Potter films have a lot of like retcon and they're not that well thought out and all that. And Star Wars is just so much more iconic. But dog, if you start looking at these individual movies, the, let's just take the let's let's just take the original nine, right? We can look at all of them actually if we want. But I mean, if you were to do a thumbs up or thumbs down in a vacuum, of, is this a good movie? Star Wars has like a is batting like two hundred. It's not. There's not many. I mean, most of them are not very good movies. You think what? Okay, which which of the original trilogy is bad? Is a be, is a thumbs down below fifty percent? Give me that movie. Um, I would say I would say Empire Strikes Back is good for sure. I would say, and the other ones are pushed depending on your taste. I, I would <sighs> say I would kind of lean their both thumbs up, but they're they're out there, man. Yeah, I would say that like you know. The, the trilogy of movies that changed movie making forever and are considered iconic pieces of American cinema. I would give them better than 50. I mean, that, you're, so you're, 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 thumbs you're, you're making my I would argument say they're thumbs up. Like they're, they're bigger than the sum of their parts, but the, they're, they're, they're sure. films that have, they're films yeah, that have they are, major though. issues. And, like, and okay. So let me, let me change my comment. That was taken so critically is <laughs> the, I'll, I'll change it from I'm, I'm 200 down to, to shit on all the other six, but yeah, give, okay. They're batting at 300 three, at, at minimum. I think you have to give them 33, three. Okay. So, that's kind of what I'm getting at is star. It has been, it's been 40 years since star Wars has made a good movie or a, or a great movie. I, I should say, right. Depending on what you think of like rogue one and, and, and things like that. So part of me is just looking at this, like, man, star Wars, do me a favor. Like, let's get a, let's get a Nolan esque let like, as far as like level of a trilogy, get a Nolan esque Batman in there, get a Lord of the Rings trilogy, like I want to see them come out with a trilogy that just really blows the socks off using modern movie making magic 
and great acting and great dialogue. Like I'm waiting for that. I, man. I agree with you, but I'm all I'm saying is okay. Like that that to, to use your original sure. structure there, I would say that it's a little unfair to compare. Like Star Wars is a is a movie, a series. It's not based on books. Like to take like Tolkien's writing, which was like pretty much transposed one to one to the movies. There's a couple notable changes to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And then everything they did after when they went off of Tolkien's script is total ass. The Hobbit movies were fucking horrible from first to last. I mean, absolute trash fires. Batman is good as long as you like only take Nolan and the new one. But a lot of the other ones are really fucking bad, like comically yeah. bad. So again, like you're narrowing the scope. And Harry Potter, it's like again, like yeah, those are fine. I, I don't know if I would consider them iconic films. I don't know if I... I mean, those were like... Those were totally fine movies. I I have not seen all of them, so maybe I need to like brush up. But like, I, I don't even consider those in the same league as, you know, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think anyone's sitting around being like, all right, the most... You know, what, what were the most impactful film franchises of the last hundred years? Harry Potter. And again... We better confine it only to the the ones that people like because if you start going into Fantastic Beasts territory, yeah. it gets really fucking ugly really fucking yeah. fast. So I think what's magic about Star Wars is that it is like the one of the greatest vehicles for the imagination ever. Like it is one of the most extensive expanded universes, which Disney has done their best to clamp down on, but it's that's a useless endeavor. You can't go to a Barnes & Noble and have an entire Harry Potter shelf. You know what I mean? Like you can, but it's like, you know, notebooks with Hufflepuff logos on them for you to write in. Star Wars has like shelves and shelves and shelves because it has provided like, uh, you know, hundreds of authors have decided that this is the universe that they want to write in and have produced really great books and really great comics and really great video games. Some of the greatest video games, Coder, things like that, Battlefront. But part of that has Um, to do with J.K. Rowling's clamp on the licensing. I agree with you, you, but I I also just think like that, that being that the case or being that not the case, like we have what we have in the media world. And I, and so I think that is why star Wars is less, I won't go to bat for like everything. George Lucas is not Stanley Kubrick, right? Where I'm going to sit here and be like, no, you know, if you, if you dislike one of his projects, like let's examine it closer. There's subtext you're missing. I think Lucas has, you know, very clear weaknesses, but I do think the idea, the, you know, the, the core world and concept of star Wars has stood the test of time. And there's a reason that people, I mean, dude, if you churned out a rise of Skywalker for just about any other film franchise, they'd never make, they would take 20 years to make another one. And people are still going to give a star Wars movie a chance if it comes out next week. And they're still watching the Mandalorian and they're still going to watch the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Like it's its own media empire. So, and, and again, like I will admit that I'm biased. I'm like a lifelong star Wars fan. The original trilogy is, is super sacred to me. I, I think it's amazing. It's probably, you know, my, the favorite piece of media of my childhood is those, those three original films. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, the the prequels have significant weaknesses, and the new ones are inherently forgettable, but uh, I I do think there's a lot to come back to. And there's still, even with these movies, like, when we were, when I was going back to these, you know, for the purposes of this podcast, I still found myself having fun with parts Mm -hmm. of these movies, like, a ton of fun. Beyond just the nostalgia piece, like, 
there are just cool there's just cool pieces to like this the lore the world they've created the galaxy as it exists in star wars is a really fun place to let your mind wander into um and you can say that for harry potter too etc but star wars is definitely special i I would be interested to see if there was some way to track what younger generations are viewing or most excited for or you know where the most toys in this latest generation have been spent yeah, on. I can't imagine they give a shit about Star Wars. Although they keep pumping out Lego sets for Star Wars, and those sell like yeah, hotcakes. And, so I don't know if those are selling to our age or younger kids. Or yeah, whatever. I had this. I think I've told you about this music theory where you'll go into like a Target or a you know wherever you shop. I was gonna say Belk, but <laughs> pretty people going to Belk. But you go into these stores and you hear on the intercom music playing. And you know when I was a kid, you walk in and you'd hear like Love Shack playing everywhere. You hear Love yeah. Shack. And now you go into the stores and you still hear Love Shack. And but you're starting to hear more of like Sugar Ray or Kelly Clarkson or any any of these like late 90s early 2000s. And what to me what that is is it's it's a new generation of people coming up and playing what to them is the classic kids they grew up with and playing that music. Yeah. Um and you know, when we were kids, there'd be all these documentaries that would talk about Star Wars and what Star Wars meant to them. And they'd be interviewing these 30 and 40 year old filmmakers talking about how impactful. Oh, I remember it was 1980, whatever. And I was sitting in this theater with my mom and dad and I was eating the popcorn and Star Wars came on and it blew my mind. Well, I think we're going to have a generation of kids that grew up in the 2000s that are going to be talking in the same way about perhaps Star Wars. But I think even what was more of a of a frenzy wave was Harry Potter. And I don't know that it, Harry Potter would would maybe inspire the next wave of directors per se, but I do know from author friends I have that certainly writers were inspired a lot by, like first-time readers inspired to read and then sure. eventually become authors in their own works, right? And it's why you see a lot of new waves of like escapism uh like young adult fantasy right but even in that way i think that's why star wars is so special is that it's not a book like the the concept of new hollywood when guys like spielberg and lucas and all these directors came out where we came out of the studio system of the 30s 40s 50s where studios are writing movies and then tapping directors to make them and we emerge into the new hollywood era where directors are coming to studios with projects and saying, I have this amazing thing. I think you should make it. And that's where we got like some of not only some of our most ambitious and classic films, but also, you know, the beginnings of the summer blockbuster era of filmmaking, you know, Steven Spielberg did very little in the way of like, Hey, you know, someone wrote this, I'm going to convert this book into a film. You know what I mean? Which is largely what Harry Potter mm-hmm. was. And I think they, and to their credit, I think they did an incredible job translating an incredibly dense world from a book into a movie faithfully and doing a great job. Like obviously those movies did were a money printing machine, but star Wars I think is special because it's not a book. They, they, you know, is envisioned as a film from the start and was, you know, they had to take a huge risk like to with no, you know, there weren't 20 million copies of a star Wars book sold when they greenlit the making of star Wars, a new hope. And it became, you know, one of the most enduring cultural phenomenons in the history of mm-hmm. time. I, there are definitely rabid Harry Potter fans. I guess the question will be, if they decide to make a new Harry Potter movie in 20 years, will there be lines around the block where there'll be people camping out for tickets, things like that? Because Star Wars did have that. So, impact. I, I think one thing um, that working against that, against Harry Potter, is that 
think that because Harry Potter follows the story of 11, 12, 13 year olds, um, most definitely, whereas Star Wars does not Star Wars follows adults, except for, you know, a few characters here and there, obviously. But even though the level of violence and action and whatever is relatively comparable, um, there is this inherent like, oh, Harry Potter isn't for me. Like, I'm not going to roll up to, you know, you're not going to have a 35 year old dude roll up to a Harry Potter film by himself. Uh, I mean, you might, but like, and feel like that's going to feel and look a lot different if this story is about a bunch of 11 year olds, like if they're watching Percy Jackson by themselves, that's looks a lot different than if they're watching Dune by themselves. It's kind of what I'm getting at. Right. Most um, definitely. Most so definitely. let's get into the rewrites. Um, and, and rewrites is kind of a, is a strong word. I think more or less we've kind of just nitpicked out it a little bit and just talked about what we would change about it. Um, more so than anything opportunities missed. I'll, I'll kind of leave it to you first. Um, overall thoughts. Yeah. I really have two, two major ones. And again, there are levels to this, right? Like you can undertake to like scrap what is here and rewrite the entire thing from scratch. Use keeping only like the thematic elements of like the, you know, the overall macro movements of the story. I'm endeavoring here to kind of stay within the confines of kind of what Lucas laid out. I just think that there were some decisions made about it, you know, we'll, we'll yeah. get into it, but I think the two major things that I want changed are, or I'll, I'll say three. One is, and we highlighted this already, there is zero reason to have Anakin be nine years old. That does not help anyone do anything. Darth Vader, once he's Darth Vader, his age doesn't matter at yeah. all. We've seen that Force users can live to be a bajillion years old, so age matters nothing. He's mostly robotic by that point anyway, so you don't need him to be of any age. In fact, it kind of helps you in things with like the Padme situation would be a lot less weird if he wasn't nine. The whole first episode just becomes a lot less you know, this is pod raising if he's not nine. I hate all that. Two is, I don't think you need, nor does it help the story to have Anakin be the chosen one. I've already talked about my disgust for the whole midi-chlorians thing, which would, I would wipe that out, obviously, but I consider that a footnote to this. That isn't a, you know, a major, major, major plot point. I don't, I think that having Anakin be the chosen one puts all these weird constraints on the story. Like we talked about, it's very weird that like the Jedi council would be like, yeah, you know, we see some darkness in you, so we're not going to train you. But like, he's the chosen one, which they acknowledge several times later, like all very weird. He's basically their Messiah, but they decide to just kind of let him run wild, like without any, you know, training for a while. And they do let him yeah. become a Jedi Knight, but they, that's all. Very Yo, he's strange. super powerful. Um, Let's cut all ties with him. <laughs> exactly. And and going along with that, just the whole handling of Anakin's path needs some reworking. Um, we've talked about we need, like, you need the Jedi to do wrong by him. Hell, have it brought up that, like, the Jedi decide to leave his mom in slavery, if that's how the angle you want to That would have been it. very and useful. That's a that's totally a, What a useful device. That, I didn't even think about that, but... Right? Like, you get that would be a very useful way. I mean, it's you already did it. You already made the Jedi, like, clearly kind of morally and ethically weird by doing that. So why not leverage it? Because what you end up with is, like, Anakin interacts with Palpatine, like, kind of, like, four or five times. And then is totally ready to fucking mistrust the Jedi who have, like, raised him for his entire adult life, trained him, like, protected him, given him, you know, power and control of his life for the first time. Like, all those things make it very difficult to grasp Anakin's, like, heel turn towards all that. Also, like, 
we watch Anakin like brutally slaughter children, and then yet when it's like, yeah, we're gonna go ahead and kill this Dark Lord of the Sith who's been puppet stringing a galactic civil war that's killed billions of people, and that's when Anakin's like, no, we don't do that. Like that's not the Jedi way. We're gonna arrest him. Like if you threaten to kill him, I'm gonna chop your arms off, Mace Windu. Anakin's whole shtick is bizarre. The choices around him are very yeah. strange. I would rework that. Literally, literally an hour after he cuts Dooku's head off, he's like, we have to. He has to stand trial. And part of that, maybe if you asked lucas he would say that's anakin showing that he's already bought into palpatine in other words favoritism but still just seems very it's a very flimsy argument it doesn't seem very the characterization is very inconsistent there yeah so i would say you make anakin you know a bright pupil among many and that makes way more sense for the jedi to not be paying special attention to him allow for him to be harboring kind of this maybe semi-secret desire for revenge for the Jedi for abandoning his mother. He views them as opportunistic. He's like, oh, because I was useful to you. You took me, my mother, who was of no use to you. You left her behind. You have all these high-minded ideals publicly, but really, like, you're just as, you know, in it for the power as everyone else proclaims to be. And that maybe opens him to the concept of, like, everyone's just playing this game for power. And so Palpatine's message is, you know, maybe falls a little bit on fertile mm-hmm. soil there. And then last but not least, and this is maybe just like a little bit lighter of a change, but just like you don't need everyone to know everyone. I don't think you needed C-3PO in the prequels at all. I don't think you needed Anakin to have built him. I don't necessarily think you needed R2-D2 either. Like, I don't... No, not at all. Like, up... I, I think a bunch of these characters, or like Yoda going to the Wookiee planet and running into Chewbacca, like every character we ha- see in the original trilogy, it's totally fine if they're not alive and or kicking yet. Again, that shrinks your galaxy. Like part of the like charm and attractiveness of Star Wars is the vast, unlimited nature of the galaxy. You walk into the Mos Eisley Cantina and there's bizarre aliens from every part of the galaxy in there and you're just like, holy shit, dude. Like every one of these is from a different planet. They all have their own backstory. Like there's an unlimited number of stories here. You could, you know, there's so many avenues to go down. That's what makes Star Wars so cool. Yeah. And so to li- to like shrink your galaxy by being like, yeah, no, like everyone of any prominence in this galaxy is uh, directly best friends and or blood relations. And the force is dictated by, you know, microorganisms in the blood. So unless unless the right two people have sex, you can't be a Jedi. <laughs> and, you know, just all that shit is really strange. And I think diminishes the value of the story. So those would be my big three. I'd say... Uh, ultimately, the final form I'd like to see it take is... Oh, and, and obviously we talked a little bit last time about, like, you need to unify around one and or two antagonists. You need to pick an antagonist, a public-facing antagonist, whether it's Maul, whether it's Dooku. You could probably find a creative way to do both, but I would l- have loved to see, you know, an older Anakin encountered by the Jedi, taken for training, but he's not considered that special he harbors this resentment and maybe especially when we talked a little bit earlier about Dooku, you know, kind of being you could you could easily set him up as his anti-hero. Maybe that like morally ambiguous anti-hero messaging is what stirs that a little bit in Anakin because he's harboring this kind of resentment against the Jedi for his their lack of care for his mother and that's what pushes him towards Palpatine who ultimately takes advantage yeah. of that. I think there's a really good story to be had there. Yeah. I think that that would be my, at least my rough draft, you know, big picture, 10,000 foot view version of the changes I'd make. I think you do those things and you come out the other side with a a much more 
sympathetic version of the Anakin story where people watching it understand why he fell and maybe even like find themselves in parts of it siding with him, uh, looking sideways at the Jedi a little bit. Like they're not as purely black and white, good and evil as before. Maybe looking at the Sith, not as purely evil as before. Like, yeah, they're bad, but like maybe they just see the world for what it is and not necessarily just being super evil. Maybe they're just hyper pragmatic. Those kind of things I think add a lot of depth. And then again, just like you, you just don't need everyone to have gone to high school together. I think that just makes the whole thing very strange. I don't need to find out that, you know, Yoda used to babysit princess leia like that that all just makes it all yeah i agree you don't you don't want to be too small i i and i think that the it's funny because one of the biggest if not the biggest twist of all time in in film is no i am your father by darth vader and that's kind of another example where we grew up it's iconic it's everybody kind of hints at it as like one of the biggest twists of any media ever but there's also the if you want to be the critic it's not really a twist it's more of just a reveal with no background it's just like (laughs) i'm your dad out of nowhere there's no hinting at it there's no like you could never have guessed it you're just kind of like whoa that's nuts i don't know if he's lying or not but (laughs) because it's so weird yeah i guess i'm trying to think of the exact uh nature of how I'll say this, you'd have to pay really close attention, but I think that, like, Ben Kenobi's discussion of Anakin to Luke in episode four, when he's like, this was your father's lightsaber, we were Jedi together, and he's kind of, he delivers the lines in somewhat of an ominous fashion around how uh, his that he father had a, that he had, yeah, so you okay. could that's fair. So you could interpret that, but I agree with you that, like, certainly, I will, but... I can totally imagine myself, if you saw the first Star Wars movie and you'd never seen a movie like that before, right? Like, you're used to seeing fucking Singing in the Rain, and then Star Wars comes out, and you see the first one, and you're like, holy shit, this is so crazy. I've never even thought of something like this before. And then you go see the second one, and that scene in Cloud City happens. You're like, holy fuck, dude. That was probably yeah. mind-blowing, so I get it. But yeah, but I it, tie- it, 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 it ties. Uh, in- it could use more yeah, context. Yeah, it ties into what I was going to say about like what, what kind of what you're saying about Lucas, where everything ties in, regardless of whether or not really truly makes sense or is need even really needs to be spelled out. Well, and it got worse when Lucas did the... Uh, when I was like 10 or 12, Lucas did the remasters, which came out in theaters and they like redid the special effects with new THX, uh, special effects. They re-released all the movies into theaters and he added scenes to the movies. This was also the, the famous time when he, he did it to ET too. And he released, uh, when they released the new ET, all the guns had been replaced by walkie talkies for some reason, which is a very strange decision, but he did it. He did that to an even larger degree in those remasters, which no one watches for that reason. Like the ghost Anakin, like when they're, well, that when, when they're getting ready to leave, when, when hot, when they meet Han in Mos Eisley Cantino, fucking awesome scene. And then they go to the hangar and right before the stormtroopers attack and they have to flee on the Millennium Falcon, he's like, hold up, like uh, the guy that I owe money to is coming over here and Jabba the Hutt comes out and is like, hey, Han Solo, the guy that owes me money, uh, you better give me the money that you owe me or I'm going to freeze you in carbonite and bring you back to my palace later in the third movie. So, all right, later, like just like totally unnecessary, like we didn't need that at all. No one gave a shit about Jabba until Return of the Jedi. He was totally fine in the exact amount of role that he had. Unless you're a total dork like me, you do not give a shit about the Hutt's crime syndicate. So like (laughs) we didn't need any more insight into that. It goes exactly back into what I was saying about the dialogue and how every character, all they do is talk about what their plans are. Hey, I plan on doing this. All right, 
Well, let's see if that'll work. Also, like, another quick hole to poke in the, like, I knew what I was doing the whole time I wrote the entire story. Luke and Leia straight kiss in the fourth yeah, movie. Yeah. And then, so, like, I, I'll say this, Lucas, you can pick one of two ways. Either admit you were lying about planning the whole thing or admit you're a fucking weirdo. Those are your, yeah, those are your choices. Really. So yeah, Everything you said, those are very high up on my complaints list, I think. Anakin's downfall was not played out at all. And one other thing I'll add is you have, in the first story... Anakin is a child who isn't necessarily evil or good. He's just a cute kid, right? In the second film, he's a relatively normal, if not kind of strange teenager that has one really horrible moment of anger turned to grief, and he's kind of broken, but he's okay. And then in the third movie, they pick off, and he's kind of jovial. He's kind of uh, more thoughtful than maybe even Obi-Wan is, and he's, like, joking with Obi-Wan. And so halfway through the movie, they have to kind of invent him they have to invent reasons for him to start start getting angry. And that's another reason why the whole turn to the dark side is even faster. Because they, the whole scene where he goes and saves his mother in Attack of the Clones and, and fails. Yeah. That is a fine scene to have in, if you want that to be part of his downfall. But it needs to be followed by Anakin being a darker person from then on out. Because after that, Anakin has these entire like 30 to 45 minute parts of the movie where he's happy-go-lucky again where he's like you know driving his jet around he's like this is where the fun starts and is like cracking jokes as they're fighting and stuff it's like i don't want to see that i want to see the angry anakin after that moment i want to see the. we just need to see moments like and that's part of the part of the bad part about the time jump between episode two and episode three is that because we skip the vast majority of the clone wars you miss so many opportunities to show anakin in the heat of battle like one growing up and two develop there's many opportunities in in a real like the the clone wars are described as this like war of attrition that is the republic is on the knife edge of losing the entire time like it's a it's that close it's like world war one world war two style warfare right where it's like either side could at many at many points could have won the conflict Mm -hmm. and in a war that's that close that hectic that tense that gives you opportunities for a character like anakin to display moments where it's like he gives in to the anger and does you know displaying his immense potential and power but also his potential to fall into you know rage and a desire to you know take control of a situation and showing those glimpses could have set up very nicely like hey there's always this danger that he could go that direction instead yeah, of this and, direction and, and we don't get to see exactly and for that reason i agree that anakin has to start this as a a soldier of some sort anakin and, and this is one of my first big changes anakin not only needs to be not a child he needs to be of fighting age but he also needs to be army adjacent in some way he we need to be able to put him into action and see his competence and so that is one of my bigger complaints and then that ties into another complaint that i had about these films in general that i think you can kind of mirror these things all within the same opening sequence of of the new episode one that i i've kind of storyboarded so you have the problem with anakin not being fleshed out early enough you have the problem where throughout the first, especially the first two films in the trilogy, we keep hearing about all the problems that the Republic is having. They're getting, you know, they're getting quote unquote overwhelmed by the separatists. We don't see it at all, right? And then also the third thing is him and Padme's relationship make, makes absolutely zero sense. So the way that I think that this whole trilogy should start is it starts with, in whatever context you want to put it, Padme, Queen of Naboo, is coming to the Republic. Kind of like what we saw in the film. She's coming for this special vote, 
and there's a separatist assassination attempt, much like what we see, but I, I want a, a soldier Anakin Skywalker to save Padme's life. Use some sort of huge instinct and some sort of like, I don't even call it like a Medal of Honor moment, but some sort of moment where he's the only one that notices what's happening. He jumps in, he saves her, he shows this great instinct, and it catches the eye of not only the Queen, it catches the eye of the Jedi somehow, and that kind of throws him into people thinking, wow, this guy's really capable. It also gives him a, a, a more realistic way of getting in with Padme, right? This is the this is the handsome young man who's her age that saved her life, right? And then maybe he joins her like protective clique and shit like that. And that's when you can kind of introduce the element of he's too old for the, the Jedi Order, blah, blah, blah. And so start there. Start from the fact that Anakin is now involved in the story in a meaningful way, not just Qui-Gon happened to stop at Tatooine and decided to only save him from slavery but not his mother and all that. And again, if like you said, if you're going to go that route, Anakin needs to be older and you need to use his mother's death as a meaningful way in episode one. Like, show his mom get killed by Darth Maul. How about that? Show yeah. Darth Maul cut off her head or something and have that be the rage point. Maybe Qui-Gon could have saved her but refused because they had to run and save someone else or whatever um there's a million different ways you could have gone with it but anakin not being old anakin not having this moment of kind of showing his great abilities but also having a great moment of heartache that can you that can overshadow his arc throughout the entire narrative i think is the big point and then as you said the only i think the biggest thing they missed is focus on a true protagonist and focus on a true antagonist i I've I've seen a lot of people say Obi Wan is the guy you should you should shadow. If that's the case, I I honestly think you can do away with Qui Gon Jinn, and there's different ways you could do that, of course. But uh, if you're gonna keep him, do what you suggested earlier, which is have Darth Maul kill Qui Gon and then escape. And now it's the person that it's the person that Obi Wan has to chase throughout the rest of the series. And I would say this: here's another another thought, something that I would do if I was storyboarding it. I would have Count Dooku be the head Sith. I would have Darth Maul be his sort of Darth Vader, his sort of swordsman in black, if you will. And then I wouldn't even show Palpatine. I would just hint at Palpatine and then have a Palpatine-esque reveal sometime in episode three that he's really been, like after Darth Maul dies, then you need to bring in the, the idea that, well, hey, Dooku has a leader as well or has a has a mentor as well because you're right i i do think it becomes a crowded room i almost think you got to get rid of grievous like grievous is sick but i think you have to narrow it and i would choose maul and dooku between the four that's the two that i would choose to kind of carry the story that's fair the only thing i i not disagree with i like i like this i do like the political machinations of palpatine like that's the side of things that i enjoy about him in this movie is like his deft political maneuvering to take over the corrupt Senate. Like he uses their own bureaucracy against them to like capture the Senate because we know in episode four, we know that he has, he is effectively maintaining a charade around the presence of democracy in the empire because during the meeting on the the death star, when they're going to do the test, um, he says, you know, the Imperial Senate isn't going to approve this. And then Grand Moff Tarkin says, we just talked to His Excellency. The Imperial Senate has been liquidated. At that point in the timeline, the Senate still exists, but Palpatine is obviously like, it's kind of like when Hitler got named Chancellor, you know, he was like, oh yeah, everything's the same. I'm just Chancellor now. And then he was like, well, now that I think about it, I should just be yeah. sure. Also, no more democracy. To clarify, I guess I mean, I, there should, 
you can keep Palpatine. I just don't want there to be any hint at Darth Sidious. Now, if you're a Star Wars fan, you under you you can draw the you sure. can connect the dots. Sure, but in Episode One, they give you subtle hints that he's Palpatine, like maybe a ten or fifteen percent hit. In Episode Two, you're pretty certain that he's pulling the strings, and then by Episode Three, it's very obvious. And I think you got to do away with all those hints, and only people that like obviously you know, hey, that's. Well, you're going to give him a different name. No, you can call him Palpatine, but I'm just saying you don't give any hits at any of the any of the scene, any of the acting. Like Palpatine needs to be a lot more amiable. You almost don't see him doing any any of the. Um, he's not going to talk to Anakin about the dark side of the Force or any shit like that. And then and then sure, when the sure. yeah, almost yeah, yeah. like I almost want a like curtain dropping execute order sixty six. Like it's the first time that you've seen Palpatine frown the entire trilogy type got type it, moment. Got it. Like I a like true that. betrayal that cool. as opposed to. He's been hinted at this whole time, and it's is he finally reveals himself to our characters, but the audience has known all along. I want it to be a little bit more of like a true everybody's taken off guard, if you will. Yeah, no, that would be cool. But yeah, I mean the the, the biggest things we agree on is you've got to get you've got to get Anakin more more storyboard. Got to get rid of. I mean, we're, really, we just keep I keep coming back to the same thing is where we start with Episode Two kind of needs to be Episode One, and then I need more Clone Wars, and I need more of a emotional back and forth between you know obi-wan and darth maul obi-wan and count dooku and i need anakin to get really if i had a single single biggest mistake man is having obi-wan immediately kill darth maul like that that single action based just based almost purely on opportunity cost it was just such a weird decision for me yeah like because it's one thing if you're gonna be like obi-wan immediately kills maul and i'm gonna use that to show that like obi-wan is you know He's he's vulnerable to giving into his rage too, but that's not it. You know what I mean? He never we never revisit that. That's not a theme of Obi Wan at all. There's really no reason for it other than they just wanted to get rid of Maul. Like they clearly just didn't want to use him again, which is again, I don't really know why. He was a really cool, like iconic looking character. People loved him. Like in the lead up to that movie releasing, Darth Maul might have been like the most favorably anticipated character as far as just like toy sales. People wanted to know about this guy. Because obviously like in Star Wars, like, the villains have been the most iconic characters. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, Darth Vader is, like, he is Star Wars as far as if you're com- putting it into one character. If you ask if um, you ask somebody on the street that doesn't know anything about Star Wars and you said, name one Star Wars character, they would either say Darth Vader or Yoda. Pretty yeah, hands and, down. And, may, and I... Yeah, and I, I'd say you could maybe put Han Solo in that running, too. He is he is definitely endured as a as an iconic yeah. character. But, yeah, it's... I would put those... that that Those two are certainly... 1A, 1B, and then Han floats or somewhere. Or Hey, bro, Sebulba, Sebulba slaps, dude, all right? He was kind of, he kind of got fucked. He didn't know he was racing against an actual Jedi, which I'm sure the boon to hey, Your Western democracy has. money won't work on me. Oh, you're talking about Watto, not Watto, Sebulba. God. Okay, was, <laughs> okay, yeah, Watto, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, damn, dude, what did Sebulba do to you, Sebulba dude? Was he didn't weird, do anything wrong. Sure. He's a weird-looking dude, but he had a sick pod racer. I loved his pod yep. so much. But yeah, Watto, super strange. Oh yeah, that's. I guess I didn't even add that. Let's just go ahead and remove all the strangely. I was going to say subtly racist, but they're really not. So just like overtly racist characters yeah. from the film. You could have. You have an entire galaxy of aliens. Like they don't even have to speak English. You could put subtitles on there if you want to. I mean, it's probably not a decision you wanted to make. But like they don't need to speak in like weird offensive stereotypical accents newt gunray being like oh no the jedis are coming i would drive away but i can't drive good is incredibly weird they they have i mean one thing that the disney star wars has over the prequels is 
hey, they might not understand that <laughs> the writing is worse, but they do not have the racist characters, and I will give them that. The Disney one is very frustrating because with the with the technology we have now and the budgets they have now and the access to like we talked about this a minute ago where I said like Star Wars is impressive because they didn't have all this source material. Well, now you do. People have devoted their whole lives to writing incredible Star Wars stories. You could have gone out, got Timothy Zahn, who has like won all these awards and like the entire fandom of Star Wars loves his Star Wars stories. He wrote a trilogy of books about Grand Admiral Thrawn, this like brilliant tactician for the Imperials that had been dispatched on a mission outside the galaxy. And he came back after the civil war was over and he was like, what the empire lost. All right, fuck it. I'll take over and fought the rebellion to a standstill. It's an incredible kind of like story of like the Jedi rising while also like the Imperial threat is re rising. And they had, they're led by this incredibly brilliant strategic genius, like the kind of the Rommel of the Imperials. It's a great concise three book each book is awesome as a standalone story, but they have an overarching really good story. You could have just made those into movies and printed money to the end of time and everyone would have said you were a genius. And instead, you write this totally schizophrenic, even between movies. Like, you, you spend all this time building up certain characters in the next movie. You're just like, never mind. He's not really a character anymore. Yeah. It, Oh, the whole thing is so frustrating, and especially as a Star Wars fan. I mean, I went to see all three of those movies in the theaters, and each one was a more disappointing experience than the last. Uh, when I saw Force Awakens, I came out of it being like, that felt like Star Wars. That was That's really cool, fun. yeah. I enjoyed We're off that. to a good start. Right, and then I can't remember which one came out. I want to say Rise of Skywalker came out before, or no, The Last Jedi came out before Rogue I One. I think you're right. And so that was kind of like, okay, they kind of undid a bunch of shit. But I will say that because the last scene of The Last Jedi is that kid in the moonlight with the broom, I was like, okay. Be only because the very last second of the film is something I like. I was like, all right, whatever. Maybe they'll fix it. It'll all come together in the third movie. And then Rogue One came out and I was like, oh, this is like a different kind of Star Wars. Like, I kind of dig this. Like, let's we spend all our time in the Star Wars universe kind of looking at you know, these mighty heroes of, like, tremendous stature. Like, let's see what the average person's doing in Star Wars. It can't, you know, move shit with their mind and fly an X-Wing. Like, that sounds really cool. Let's do more of that. Loved that. And then, man, went to see Rise of Skywalker. And it started out with people being mad. Palpatine is back. And then by by the end, dude, people were actually just laughing. And I think that was, like, the, the worst. It was... Oh man, dude, you have you, I, again. I keep telling you, you have to dude, see. People it. start. You really have to people see. People started laughing in our, and I went. I went a either midnight premiere or Friday night showing of the Last Jedi, and people in our theater started dying laughing when Leia woke up from being killed and flew back to the spaceship and landed and just like walked back onto the spaceship. People were just like, "Bro, oh, my just God. like the 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 worst thing to me that they did was." The fact that we went a full couple movies with this Snoke guy and never learned who he was, what he was, why he was in charge, what he's doing, what his plan was. Turns out Palpatine was in charge the whole time, so like was he never really in charge? It literally no no point in all of it. So like they have a throne room on this fucking every ship so that this Snoke dude can ride around and pretend to be in charge. I don't know. It, it makes no fucking hey sense. Hey, guys, I and subverted then, the expectations. Are you happy? And then, man, when they get to the fucking evil Palpatine planet 
And they're like, well, bro, we're about to blow this planet up, so, like, you're fucked. And he's like, that's what you thought, but I actually have this. And he raises his hand, and a fleet of a thousand Star Destroyers rises from under the ground, breaking through the Earth's crust to rise into space. And I was just like, okay, one, like, you had all these ships? Like, why weren't you using them? Like, when you got your ass kicked by the Rebellion, a thousand Star Destroyers would have been super useful. Two... There probably would have been a more efficient way to launch your fleet than to have them, like... Like, were they building these ships underground and some engineer was like, okay, so, like, is there a launch bay? Like, how do the doors open? Like, no, we're just going to fly into the ceiling and destroy the entire planet to get these ships out. All very strange. And then, yeah, okay, yeah. I don't want to... We can do a different podcast on just all my beefs with the entirety of that that trilogy. Yeah, there's been... There is just numerous... I mean, there are... There are critique videos about The Last Jedi that are longer than The Last Jedi itself. That's how bad it is. And I don't even yeah, want to... Yeah. And, the, the other and again, one is, man, sounds it's, like it's, it's makes, incredibly... It's, it's much worse, apparently. It's significantly worse. And it just makes me sad because, like... Dude, Star Wars fans, you don't need to give them that much. And they'll latch on. You know what I mean? Like, even to this day, there are entire communities or huge subreddits with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people on it that are like... Yeah, they're kind of corny, but like, oh, I love the prequels for this reason. And those are, and they, like, these are objectively not great movies, but like, because they take place in this universe they love, involving characters they love, with concepts that they love, they'll for, they're willing to forgive so much. And, they, oh, dude, Disney just stripped all the life out of all of it. And there's still, there's still hope, I guess, in the form of like certain directors taking control of these projects. I really like The Mandalorian a lot. Clone Wars was super fucking cool. They're doing that new Star Wars game that's supposed to be awesome so far from what I've seen. Let me ask you a question. I I have... Would you rather... So, not which one is worse, not which one is more of a disappointment, but considering what they had to work with, which one fell more flat? The prequels, considering that they had had Obi-Wan and Anakin and Yoda and all them to work with, plus the, you know, the hype of 30 plus years of waiting, or the Disney sequels, Given the fact that they had the bigger budget, the better CGI, they had Luke and Leia to work with, and they had some of the novels to work with. Which one of those, given those facts, which ones do you think fell flatter with what they had to work with? I'm going to go sequels. And I think it's because there's plenty to, to hate on about the prequels from the tactical, as far as like acting, dialogue, things like that, to elements of the story. But they chose a story and they told it. Yeah, like, that's true. They sequels chose a story, started telling a third of it, switched directors, said fuck that story, told a different story, and then rehired the original director who said fuck that and told the first story again, retconned the middle of the trilogy. It's a disaster from a narrative standpoint. And again, I just like I hate where it took like yes, the prequels have some some elements that impact the larger Star Wars canon that I didn't like, things like midi-chlorians. But ultimately, uh, what the the structure that the prequels left behind enabled a lot of really cool stories to be told. The Clone Wars is awesome, and it was only made using like the ideas that were set forth in yep. the prequels. So there were, there were bare bones that could be built off there for really cool. I mean, I told you when we were talking about Count Dooku, you know, you were like, "Oh, I wish they had told us that. That's really cool. That's stuff that you know, like, was built off of what was left in the prequels." There is almost nothing in the sequels that is worth expanding on. There is almost nothing there that I give a shit about because it's just like they didn't ever. 
I mean, even to the point of just like trying to like shoehorn in, I guess what amount to like pet causes. Like we have that whole sequence where they go to that casino and they're oh, like, who's so in this awful. casino? And they're like, war profiteers. Just like, shut the fuck up, dude. Like, the whole love story on, with, uh, like, I don't even remember their names. Rose and what's the guy's name? The old stormtrooper. John Boyega. Yeah. John Boyega in Star Wars, whatever his name Which, is. Which, okay, you know what? I don't even care. I don't even mind them having a love story. I was totally fine with that. What I do mind is you put them in a, in a, in a relationship, and then in the next movie, you're like, ah, never mind. And they're not in a relationship anymore. They, like, break up. <laughs> like, they, they, they don't... That removes all the impact of any of those decisions. Like, the whole thing is incredibly frustrating to me. And I loved... Like, when I saw the trailers for The Force Awakens and I saw that, like, okay, former Storm... You know, they had the scene where Boyega has the lightsaber. I was like, damn, dude, they're going to truly wipe out the midi-chlorian shit. They're going to yeah. be, like, this total nobody from a backwater planet conscripted into Storm... In the first scene of Force Awakens where he's being forced to, like, commit war crimes with his Stormtrooper unit. That's and, like, so cool. he's, like, dealing and with the trauma of that. Oh, I was like, this is going to be so laser. fucking oh, rad, that's dude. Sick. That, is, that is really cool. Yeah, dude. That shit was, I was like so hyped in the theater. I was like, this is going to be so fucking cool. This whole thing is going to be so All right, I changed, cool. I changed my batting. And they were just, four, they, they're batting a 400 because that's actually a pretty good movie. Force Awakens. I, yeah, you, that's what I'm I'll saying. Force Awakens. And, and, and I'm going to say it's four and a half because I think that like Revenge of the Sith is like fine. I'm going to say it's like, it's an, there's enough there for me to give it four and a half. So out of the nine movies, you get four and a half, which is batting 500 out of a possible there's a lot of rounding movie, up you know also because yeah also considering that there's more than 10 star wars films but we, we said the original nine um, yeah, that's true. and then i'll say i guess the other movie movies are the han solo movie and the rogue one and i'll say the rogue one worked really well and the han solo movie didn't i i, 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 I turned it off after for. 35 minutes i was like this is so bad yeah it's weird because, like, okay, on one hand, like when you when they pitched it to me, not not to me, but to the world, and I was like, okay, <laughs> Andy, what like, do you Han think Solo of this? <laughs> origin. Yeah, exactly. The pitch is like Han Solo origin story. We're gonna, it's kind of a heist film built in the Star Wars universe. They're very clearly trying to turn Star Wars into the Marvel universe, where you tell like you know Ant Man is a heist film told within the confines of a right. superhero movie. They're trying to do that with Star Wars. I actually, I, this might be a hot take. I thought the casting and the acting of the guy that they got to play Han Solo was actually pretty good. I, I could totally see young Han in him. The issue is that Han Solo and Harrison Ford are inextricably linked in people's heads. That's why I, I added him to the iconic characters list earlier. Like, I think he's been done so perfectly, and it's it's so closely related to Harrison Ford. It's it's like the line between what is Han Solo the character and what is Harrison Ford the person like is totally indistinguishable. You can't they blurred yeah. so much. I think it's impossible to have Han Solo be anyone else. So that was kind of doomed from the start, and I don't think anyone could have known that until we did it and failed. But man, I'll tell you what, there is. A worse way to do things and if you want ep evidence of that go check out the fucking halo tv show because talk about <laughs> a fan base that waited for 20 years for a universe that they loved an expansive really cool sci-fi universe with a great story and great source material and they waited for 20 years for this tv show like at one point peter jackson was involved in helping write this thing it had big money behind yeah. it it had a good cast and then I remember seeing this interview with one of the guys that was the showrunner, and he was like, the great thing about Halo is there's so much lore and there's so much 
backstory that like we didn't even have to touch the the video games. None of us have ever played the games, and we oh didn't even gosh. get into them to do this show. And on the first episode of the TV show, Master Chief takes his helmet. Oh off, my gosh! Which does not happen. Like that's like the entire like part of the whole point of Halo in general is like one, he doesn't take the helmet off so that he's you. Yeah, he can be right? anybody. Like no matter who you are, he can be anyone. Second. Part of the like underlying like emotional weight of Halo is that these kids were these guys the 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 Spartans that wear the armor, they were kidnapped as children. They were turned into child soldiers. They were like biogenically genetically enhanced. They were given this armor. They were trained from birth to fight wars. They're traumatized and they had their em- emotional centers in their brains removed. They do not feel. They never get horny. Like they have zero ability to reproduce. They have zero ability to get like flustered. Not only do they do that. The season finale of this Halo show, the first season, is that through the whole season you see the Covenant, the evil alien mm-hmm. race that like we're fighting in yeah. Halo. There's a there's a white woman who's in one of the leaders of the Covenant. What? Which the whole time you're like, why is that happening? And dude, they fuck. That's what happens at the end of the Gosh. season. Master Chief and this chicken bang. You're like, what is going on? So I say all that to say that. Oh, like, that's so did Disney did. Did Disney screw this super hard? Absolutely. Did they do wrong by the fans? Yes. It it could always be worse, folks. Like, <laughs> never say this is as bad as it could get because somebody out there has a worse idea. Like, oh god, it was so bad, dog. It was so that's bad. Fr- I, I yeah, I that's incredibly frustrating to hear. You should watch like a YouTube video. I would I would never suggest you watch this the the show because it's truly fucking awful and unwatchable. But look up a good like YouTube, you know, like a twenty minute breakdown of the whole season by uh, by someone who really loves Halo, and they'll you can just watch them rage because it is. Imagine waiting twenty years for that. It makes me mad as a as yeah. a creator that people get paid to create things like that, and I just know that me and you and any one of our any one of our creative friends that are into writing and stuff would would never even come close to making something that bad. It's so frustrating. I hate to make it sound like it's easy because I know it's not, but like, bro, the it's, it's right there. You. Yeah, just use what's just make there. a show of the first game, dog. Just make the first game into a. Movie that's what I. That's why I always say show. that if I ever like, got if I was ever in a you know a dream scenario, I was tasked with like, hey, you're gonna write the next Star Wars movie or the next Star Wars trilogy or whatever i would sit there and go okay let me go find two or three of the fan novelists let me go find the biggest avid star wars fans and i'm gonna spend six months just picking the brains of these people that know more about star wars than me and then i'm gonna put pad to pen and i'm gonna start writing it like i'm not even gonna touch it until i feel equipped that i know the world as much as these guys and understand the pulse of like what should be done and what shouldn't be done and all that. When I hear all these people be like, yeah, I never watched this. I never read this. And then they go make the show. That's so, that's disrespectful dog is, is what it is. It's lazy too. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, I sent you that video last night about the studio system and kind of the death of cinema as we know it. And a big piece of that is that like, you know, there's a, someone wrote, there's this lady who worked for uh, the New York times that wrote this very famous essay back in the in the 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 70s about like why are movies so bad now and obviously she wrote that like right before the emergence of new hollywood and like we got kind of a renaissance of film really bold filmmaking but we've kind of returned to that studio system of like all movies are pumped out by these giant you know conglomerate corporations they're there to protect slash make more money and the safe way to do that is to finance and pump out sequels reboots you know things like that these connected universe pieces 
And that makes it so that directors are, their resumes are less about, hey, can you do artistic justice to this source material? Or can you, can you do right by the people that are going to connect with this art and more about, Hey, can you bring this in under budget? Hey, can you, you know, do you have a track record of making profit, you know, behind these pieces of work? Um, and I understand that from business. You should be able to do both. None of us are. That's what what drives me. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think I'm hoping that we will see a very similar cycle to what we saw back then, which is that, you know the movie. The movie industry was pumping out all these like kind of like the exact same thing. Uh, they give an example in that video I sent you, but basically they show this year at the Oscars where like the nominees uh, were all these like studio puff pieces, and several of them had like totally failed financially. And the the movie that won Best Picture was also the highest grossing picture of the year, and it was The Graduate, and it was a bold movie that pushed people. It's a good movie. And none of the studios have been willing to finance it. You know what I mean? Like they all thought that was a bad idea and it, and it blew people's yeah. socks off. So I'm hoping that, you know, the A24s of the world, they have shown that you can make money producing great art. And I'm hoping that we move more in that direction because yeah, it is, it is sometimes like it's shitty to watch, especially things that you've really attached emotionally to, whether it's, you know, a certain franchise or a long running film franchise or something like that. Um, to see that become, uh, bastardized and even like the, the you know the example they give in that video is the Oscars which were forever viewed as this like stuffy avant-garde like they were like the eternal stuffy defenders like dogmatic defenders of artistic cinema right and then last year they finally gave in and they were like we're gonna give the the audience cheer Oscar to Zack Snyder's Justice Whoa. League like it was so popular you know what I mean like they're starting to give in to this like because there are people out there and they play sound bites in that video of people being like tell me why no Marvel movie wins best picture dude like it, it kicks so much ass and like all the movies that are nominated for best picture are just fucking boring every year like this this movie Coda dude it's like about some deaf person like who gives yeah. a shit dude like why do you want to be bored like why can't why can't the deaf person fly or shoot lasers well then you have the opposite like, of that which God. is like King Richard got nominated <laughs> and it's like something like Spider-Man didn't which was which Spider-Man was a good movie and I don't know if it should have been nominated for best picture but like yeah, anyways, we already talked about that. I, I, yeah, I'm not saying those don't have any artistic merit, and I think that the, the, the coolest people and the smartest people can enjoy both, right? Like, what I'm, what I'm getting at is that, like, I, there is, like, a, there is this weird, and we've talked about this too, is, like, the anti-intellectualist bent some people have where, like, anytime anyone says there's symbolism in a movie, that's just bullshit, dude. It's just a movie, okay? You're thinking too much about yeah. it. And, like, that, that mindset has invaded a lot of things where people do just want to see explosions, and so... I hope we don't ever get to a point where like the five Oscar nominees are all, you know, best picture are three Marvel movies, a Star Wars movie and a James Bond movie. Oh, and that's that like our, worse. our five best movies of the year. You know what I unless, mean? Unless, like, unless we I get to the point where those movies really are just like completely knocking our socks off, which for sure, for sure. But even like the, the jokes told at the Oscars this year, like they had Amy Schumer get up mm. there and be like, much like everyone else, I didn't watch any of these movies or like Wanda Sykes got up there and was like, I turned power of the dog off five times. Just like they're, they're trying to like lean into those, that crowd of people that are just like smart people. Movies are dumb and boring and explosions are cool and fun. Just like, so if you get tasked, I'll, I'll leave you one last question. You get tasked with, making a new star wars trilogy kind of putting you on the spot because you're a star wars guy what would you want the story to cover 
and who would you task with directing or anything like that anything whether it's acting directing writing whatever you kind of feel like what would you any, any thoughts have you thought about that at all yeah, I, I it'd be an easy choice for me. I would do the Timothy's on Grand Admiral Thrawn series. It would now it'll never happen because it would retcon Disney's current yeah. series that they've done. Luke is not a milk drinking hermit in that. He's the most you know he's the leader of the new generation of Jedi. Leia is the Chancellor of the New Republic. The decision by Disney to like make it so that like the Republic's victory kind of meant nothing is weird to yeah. me. So in in most of the extended universe, the the rebels founded the New Republic. Its capital is on Coruscant. Luke founded a new generation of Jedi Knights. His first two pupils are Leia's two children. Uh, she has twins that are both gifted in the Force with Han. And before he had passed, the Emperor, like a couple of years, had discovered this incredibly brilliant man. And he wasn't a man. He was from an alien race called the Chiss. And the the Empire is like notoriously like racist and speciesist. Everyone that's in charge for them is a, is a white guy. Um, and they they're very like slanted towards humans, right? Like everyone in charge with the Empire is a human. And the Chiss look like humans, but they have blue skin. And Grand Admiral Thrawn was so tactically brilliant that the Emperor made him. He's the only non-human to ever wear the white coat of a grand admiral Mm. and he was sent outside the known galaxy to conquer new shit for the empire. And he returns to find that the emperor's dead. The empire's collapsed and grand Amberthon rallies the remains of the uh, Imperials and goes on this like crazy, like hit and run campaign to like conquer old kind of this, the new Republic is kind of a little bit shaky. And so he like uh, takes advantage of that, tries to, he tries to assassinate Leia, and it culminates in this like giant, you know, strategic gambit that he pulls off to like try to take down the New Republic and take out Luke Skywalker with the help of a uh, cloned Jedi Master that he found in the Emperor's uh, clone library. So That's it's a so super cool. cool story. It's a three book story. It has a bunch of really incredible new characters that he wrote for the purposes of those novels. A former Imperial assassin turned smuggler who joins the the light side named Mara Jade. A race of purpose-built assassins called the Noggery that are kind of like the evil Wookiees. Grand Admiral Thrawn himself. And Grand Admiral Thrawn is, one, is a fan favorite among all Star Wars Extended Universe people. He ended up showing up in Star Wars Rebels, which was a highly awaited event and he's had several novels written about him outside of Zahn's series but I would take those three series or three novels I would turn them into a series as far as uh, director if I could have anybody it'd be Dennis Villeneuve because he's fucking the man he does big big scale sci-fi better than anyone that would be my that would be my choice that'd be my choice and I think I, I think it'd be a home run I think it'd be an easy not even a home run it'd be an easy layup you know what I mean like just this, you're just taking an established set of characters, an established property that people already love. These each each of these novels sold over a million copies. You already have like an entire generation that read these novels and probably already gave them to their young kids. And so, like, you've got a built-in fan base for these novels. Star Wars fans are already going to go see this movie, and if you do it right. You crush it immediately, and the bar is so low after Rise of Skywalker that, like, man, you do a half decent job, you turn in like a seven. You're going to fucking be the man. Yeah. So, you exactly. convinced me. That's that my, sounds that's awesome. My plan. Well, as always, Andy, thanks for joining. And uh, normally I would I would be like, hey, let's let's uh, give our overall thoughts. But that's all we've done for the past two and a half hours or three hours. So, yeah. Um, again, as always, thanks for joining. If you haven't liked and subscribed, go ahead and uh, and do that for us. And as always, tell two friends. 
Again, this is Novel Discourse. I'm Sam. I'm Andy. See you next time. Peace. Peace.